Hello, welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano, and welcome back to our eighth episode of our, well, as I've been calling it, the Wilderness Years. And this episode, we are going to be talking about Avengers 219 and 220 and Captain America Annual 7. Now, we'll get to our guest host for Captain America Annual 7 later, but for right now, for 219 and 220, we have with us coming back from, well, several episodes ago, Ren Chandler. How you doing, Ren? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm pretty good. I mean, as much as we can be. But yeah. 2020 is over, so everything's better better than that, at least. For sure. And we are going to be talking about some, well, at this point, I guess it is considered, it's almost be considered classic 80s Avengers. And this is very early 80s, before the Roger Stern run, even. So it's a very... This is a very pared down team. I mean, yeah, it's just yes, yeah, it's just the four five of them. members. Or, <laughs> I mean, I guess we can count Moondragon as number five. She is an Avenger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not just just not behaving like one in this issue, but it's just Cap, Thor, Iron Man, and the Wasp. And the Wasp is the leader at this point. Yes, they just made her the leader, and she's going to be the leader for a little while now, I believe. Personally, one of the the two best, personally for me, the two best leaders of the Avengers are the Wasp and Captain America. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I don't think anyone else has done as good a job as those two. But let's fill everyone else in on what's going on there. So we're going to drop in the synopsis in a moment, and then we'll be back to talk about the issue. Avengers number 219 by Divine Wright. Writer, Jim Shooter. Penciler, Bob Hall. Inkers, Vince Coletta. Frank Giacoya and Al Milgram. Colors, Christy Scheel. Letters, Joe Rosen. Cover art, Bob Hall, Bob Layton, and Rick Parker. Editors, Jim Salakrup and Lance Tooks. Cover dated May 1982. On sale date, February 9th, 1982, with a cover price of 60 cents. You can find this reprinted in Marvel Comic Stars number 23, a 1981 German reprint. Los Vengadores, number 33, a 1985 Spanish reprint. Marvel Gold, Los Poderosos Vengadores, number 1, Por Drecchio Divino, a 2011 Spanish reprint. Avengers, The Trial of Yellow Jacket, trade paperback from 2012. Guardians of the Galaxy Solo Classic Omnibus from 2015. And Marvel Masterworks, Avengers, volume 21 from 2021. On a quiet day, the Wasp is getting a new hairdo when she is suddenly compelled to rush out of the shop and fly somewhere she doesn't know. Unfortunately, she doesn't bother to bring a costume made of shrinking unstable molecules with her, so when she shrinks to Wasp size, she's inadvertently begins streaking as well. Tony Stark is in the middle of a high-stakes game of roulette at a casino when he too feels compelled to drop everything and rush out. He leaves his cards to a stranger, who loses. Likewise, Captain America is in the middle of subduing some thugs when he rushes away as well. All three of them, and Thor as well, converge on a location where they find a spaceship waiting. Iron Man recognizes it as Moondragon's vehicle. The quartet boards it and sees a short, aborted holographic message from Drax the Destroyer. To their surprise, they discover that in the short time they've been aboard, the ship has already left Earth and is deep in space. The ship whisks them away to the distant planet Babani, where Moondragon and Drax, revealed to be her father, claim to have quelled a global war. The native population, Moondragon explains, were embroiled in perpetual war until she arrived and intermediated a peace treaty. The Babani natives now worship Moondragon as the goddess of the mind. 
Moondragon says she summoned the Avengers because the planet faces a potentially apocalyptic attack by the last of the planet's warmongers. Despite several misgivings about interfering in the politics of another world, the Avengers intervene and quell the rebellion. Revered as heroes, the Avengers decide to stay on and tour the planet for a while. Thor, who's used to visiting other planets, takes off on his own. Iron Man accompanies Drax to review videos of the battle. The Wasp, finally, gets something to wear before she and Captain America go to the battle site to investigate. All four of them are suspicious that there is more to the situation than what Moondragon is telling them. Captain America and the Wasp discover that the rebels they had fought were actually peaceful inhabitants, mentally compelled to attack the city. Iron Man and Drax review videos of the battle. Iron Man discovers Drax was on the scene and could have intervened at a moment when Cap was almost killed. Iron Man realizes Drax was, and still is, being me mentally manipulated by his daughter. Thor confronts Moondragon with his own suspicions. She confesses she used her telepathic powers to subdue the entire planet's population and is enforcing the current peace. Moondragon, who arrogantly believes she is a goddess, feels entitled to use her powers for what she believes is the good of Babani. She then uses her powers to seduce Thor to her side. Okay, we're back now. <laughs> so, Avengers 219, as the cover says, by divine right, Moondragon commands. And the cover is basically Cap, Thor, Iron Man, and the Wasp blasting an alien army. Um, well, it looks like the moon, but it isn't. With, like, the image of Moondragon looking at them menacingly. Like the... It's a very uh, good cover. I, I like the, you know, dynamicism of it. Like, you know, the... Yeah, it, no, I agree. And like I said, Mo I think Moondragon, the way they have her here, definitely has a bit of a ominous to it. Yes, yeah. A good um, intro to what the comic is about, I think. Definitely. So let's see. So we'll do a brief thing of the whole thing, but we start off with the Wasp getting her done at the now, of course, well-known Fidel Sassoon. And it kind of reminds me, every once in a while I forget when they remind you that like the Wasp is an heiress. And it's kind of like, Kind of something a little weird to me, because think of it now, it's like, so wait, it's like, what if Paris Hilton became a superhero? I mean, I'm not comparing her to Paris Hilton. I'm more comparing Paris Hilton to her. But I mean, that's like when I when I think heiress, that's the first thing that pops in my head. Well, they mention it in like the very, very early issues of the Avengers, like from the 60s. But I don't think about it. I don't know what like her family does exactly. Do they ever explain it? You know what? I don't think so. Or at least not that I've ever known. I never, <laughs> I've just accepted it. I never actually thought about it. I have no idea how they got their money. They're just well, like, rich. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, you know, she's hating, uh, you know, she was hating Hank Pym, who, you know, you can, I know you would have made as much money as a scientist, so. Yeah, he was just, he must have had something because he was able to, fund, basically, his job just to, seemed to be private scientist you know it wasn't even like he worked at a lab like a you know for a corporation he worked on his own yeah and you know generally i think corporate scientists they make a little bit more money than like uh you know government scientists but uh yeah so probably was like something else about him so of course and then we so we get like a little vignette of each of these four avengers doing something and then in the middle of it they get that mystical you know mystical mental summons to leave right away of course the wasp now granted is partially because of the power and partially probably because they're having they get excited you know the creators wanted to do this of course hers leaves her naked 
Yeah, that, that was a weird moment. Like, yeah. It's like, you know, you've been doing this for two, over 200 issues. You'd think by now you'd be used to just always wearing clothes that would go with you. I mean, I would have to assume at this point, Johnny Storm knows well enough to always wear clothes that are fireproof. Yeah, I always thought like maybe Hank gave her like, a, you know, a suit that she could wear underneath, like like even like a unitard, like something like that to wear underneath her clothes. But Something basic, yeah. Especially if you're going to be leader of the Avengers, you know, it does help to at least know your powers. <laughs> exactly. So This kind of reminds me of um, the first issue of Fantastic Four where they're all like doing their own stuff and then Reed Richards sends like that signal in the air and mm-hmm. they all have to go. You're right. Go and see what's going on. Yeah, Sue, I think like what, Sue is looking at uh, diamonds and all of a sudden just runs off. Turns yeah. the off, and Johnny's in a, a car with his friends, and all of a sudden melts the car as he flies away. Yeah, and then the thing's just in a taxi, and then he just goes to the sewer. <laughs> he just rips through the taxi and rips through the, the ground. Yeah, he just. <laughs> Next scene, we have uh, Tony Stark is gambling. Yeah, and it's kind of funny. Reading some old Iron Man stuff, I o- don't always get the Robert Downey Jr. voice in it, but in these two issues, I definitely get a lot of like the what they were going for with Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. Oh yeah, he's definitely yeah. very much like that. That's definitely the character they're going for in these two issues, at least. Yeah, yeah, like the you know the suave, like the playboy, like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I normally bet fifty thousand, but uh, sorry, I normally bet a hundred thousand, but uh, I guess I got to do only fifty here. That's fine. Oh, I gotta go. You know what? You take the money. <laughs> and Cap's beating up some criminals and. It is a little amusing how Cap gets called away, so he leaves the criminals as the cops are showing up, and the two criminals start beating each other up because one of them insults Cap, and the other one doesn't like that. (laughs) (laughs) That is amusing. Yeah, that's a a great scene. And finally, my favorite part is the Thor Jarvis, where Thor goes to help Jarvis with the shoveling. Yeah. Because it's snowing out, but then gets called away because they were going to watch the Knicks game. So I kind of, yeah, you know what? Two things. One, I like the idea that like at this point, the Avengers are like, some of the Avengers are close enough. They've been doing this for long enough that like maybe Jarvis is like the game's on and who's going to watch, you know, let's hang out. I kind of like that idea that like being friends, you know, not just fighting alongside each other, but also let's, let's relax. Kind of like the idea they had, they've had, if you read the issues where like Nick Fury would have like a rotating poker, floating poker game. And so like you periodically see the thing and spider woman and uh, Carol Danvers and Wolverine and a few others playing poker. Huh. Yeah. That's, a, that's an interesting idea. Especially to bring in like different characters to do stuff. Yeah. It's, it's all the characters that would have like that you could see playing poker. That would be poker play. You know, that would be really into that. Like Spider-Man, obviously never part of that game. <laughs> But you could see Wolverine playing that, and considering there were how they're at least the way I've always seen their relationship together, I could definitely see Carol Danvers playing that too. Yeah, yeah, Carol Danvers is certain. Yeah, so there's a couple of them, but I like this. Although I do find it the other thing I was going to say is I do find it funny. So he's calling it the Knickerbockers, and I think most people, even back then, would be like, "Wait, the what? Oh, the Nick?" When he calls says basketball, it's like, "Oh, you mean the Knicks?" Because I mean, who calls it the Knickerbockers? Besides someone like Jarvis, but they don't have a they don't have an editor's note for that. But they have an editor's note to tell you what Asgard is. 
if you're reading the Avengers, like, how would you not? You know, it's like, for the most part, people reading the Avengers and Thor know what Asgard is. So that just amused me. But then they get to the ship, and the ship pulls them in, and we get that warning from Drax, where, of course, Drax is like, but first, let me tell you my origin. <laughs> Gotta love the need, especially back then, to always like treat it like everyone's first issue, so let's make sure we fully recap everything. <laughs> Sorry, say, say that again. You got cut uh, off. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, also it was you know newsstand distribution. From what I hear, wasn't always the greatest, so sometimes you could miss an issue. So I guess they wanted to fill in for people who might have missed the last one. But still, it is it is kind of amusing. Like, okay, here's who I am, random stranger that I'm hopefully contacting. <laughs> so, so Drax hasn't met the Avengers yet. Not really. Um, I know he knows Iron Man because that's where his first appearance was. Yeah, yeah, that's what it says here. His first appearance was Invincible Iron Man number seven, number fifty-five. Yep, which is also the first appearance of Thanos. So he knows Iron Man, but at least from what I've read, where he appears like in something like Iron Man and Captain Marvel issues by Jim Starlin, the only Avengers that have appeared in there and two of them weren't even Avengers yet, was Iron Man, Moondragon, and Star Fox. And this was obviously, bef- this was before Moondragon or Star Fox were Avengers. Yeah. So he really didn't interact with them. And when they get to the death of, when you get to the death of Thanos issues back in the 70s, Drax is not part of that at all. So does this happen before or after that? Oh, this happens after that. That was 77. This is 82. Oh, uh, Okay. So yeah, they died about five years ago, and I believe Captain Marvel had already died earlier this year, or, or in the past year, which would be why he probably didn't contact him either. You know, that would be the only place he would have met them actually, at the death of Captain Mar- at Captain Marvel's death, because they were all there. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But so it was pretty much everyone else from the Marvel, you know, Marvel universe. So yeah. wasn't really a good time to hang out and chat. So we get to the alien planet, and Moondragon greets them. And, I mean, you can tell something's off from reading this, where she's just like, um, oh, yeah, we called you. Yeah, that's it. And we want yeah. you to fight these guys. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah. And then you can go home. There's, like, the little lines on top of one of their heads, like the pinkish lines indicate, like, something's going on. Exactly. Oh, that's true. That's right. Yeah, like you got that one panel, that bottom panel with like the whole pink background. Yeah. And plus you have to hold the thought balloons from them, like, you know, the one, uh, the panel with the wasp talking to her saying, we'll help you. And after that, we'll see. And she's like, I'm, she's even talking about like, you know, I, I wanted to talk to her about something else, but I can't remember what. So yeah. you can kind of tell Moondragon's doing something to them. Yeah, yeah, under the mind control. And then we have the, we have a big fight scene. Yeah, fight and Thor's. I like how everyone's a little unsure still. And meanwhile, Thor's like, "Kick the crap out of everyone!" Yes, fight. <laughs> yeah, it's, like I, Iron Man says, "I can't help feeling sorry for these for these guys. They're the underdog." It's like, but it doesn't look like Thor has any doubts, and Thor's just tossing tanks, and <laughs> <laughs> everyone's running in terror. It's amazing none of these people got killed. I mean. I understand the whole premise of like trying not to kill, you know, they're, they try not to kill people, but you kind of have to believe in some of these giant battles where like they're tossing tanks around and stuff. It's like, 
Are you sure? I like I like the yard mostly here. I like the you know it's it's, it's dynamic. Yeah, sort of uh, like you know in the eighty like it's the it's Bob Hall who's doing the art. I haven't seen much of his work, but um, I like the you know it's very dynamic. Uh, sort of some like you know the I forget I forget what it's called, but it's like where one panel follows directly from the other. The storytelling, basically, it's. Yeah. The storytelling is good. It's you can follow the story. It's not something where you're confused about what what are we looking at, what's happening. Yeah, no, the storytelling is really good here. Like they, you can follow what's going on. You know what's happening. Like I'm looking at that one page right now where Cap gets blasted and falls off, and you even without reading, you can see what's happening. Drax is you can see Drax is nearby watching. They shoot Cap. Iron Man's right by him. He flies down and grabs him, and the Wasp flies up and blasts the guys that blasted Cap. Like you can tell. Even without reading, you can see that story. Yeah. Which is what you want. Exactly. Because then it does help alleviate the need to have too many captions or word balloons telling you what you're reading. Yeah, yeah. It's very clear. You can tell, like, who two characters are in relation. And you can tell, like, their space and relationship and how, how, like, what happens before the other event no, so that's definitely one good thing. And, of course, the Avengers win because it really didn't take them very long. I mean, this was an easy fight for them. Yeah. I mean, of course, we're going to see in a little bit why, you know, one of the reasons why it was such an easy fight. I like how Moon Dragon's just trying to get everyone out, out the door. It's kind of like when you're having a party and you're like, okay, the party's over now. You guys need to leave? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, look at the time. You Don't you have a long drive? I hate for you to get home so late. <laughs> So the Avengers are like, uh, no, we want we want to stay maybe a day. We want to check the place out. We don't, you know, we've been to an alien world in a long time. Let's we want to look around. It's like, oh, oh, of course you do. Of course, yeah, you could leave tomorrow. Tomorrow's fine. Now we don't see what happens to them that night. But one thing I'm very amused by the next day, the wasp is still wearing that tarp. Moon Dragon <laughs> could have given her some pants. Yeah, I mean, I do like the outfit she got. It's pretty cool looking. Very. Like kind of sort of sorcery esque, yeah. Like it fitted well a coat with Conan so or something. Color, change its color from one from like its first panel to like the third panel. To yeah, change from orange to red. It's that's yeah. weird. Everyone, of course, except Thor, is having a bit of a. The other Avengers are having a bit of a wondering what's going on exactly, and I like how they go to uh, find uh, the Wasp and Cap go to find out, and they're talking. It's it's kind of funny and scary. Like if you were doing this, like as an actual, like especially if you're doing this, like a show or a movie, this would be like both funny and scary. As like they're talking to guys, like weren't you leading this rebellion yesterday? Oh yeah, I don't know. I I was working in my store, and all of a sudden I had this urge to get a weapon and start marching on the city. <laughs> yeah, so there these millions of other, this thousands of other people. Luckily, you stopped us. I mean, it's kind of funny, but you can also it's kind of like scary. It's like oh crap <laughs> yeah like how uh oh we we have a bit of a problem because she's powerful and um apparently more powerful than we realized if she's controlling like half pretty much a whole world plus influencing us and iron man's having the same issues too yelling at drax oh yeah here's the other part here's one of the other parts i thought was very robert denny jr when he's talking to drax and Drax is saying, your intuitiveness with machines is amazing. I know. I mean, I definitely heard the Robert Downey Jr. voice there. It's like, I'm amazing. I know. <laughs> Billionaire, playboy, and... Philanthropist. Yeah. Philanthropist. 
Thank you. That I've heard it both ways. <laughs> Trying to talk some sense into Drax since they're fairly friendly since they've known each other a couple times. You know, they've helped each other out a couple times. Drax is, you know, he's having some he can't like comprehend this. And it's one of the scary things about like fighting somebody who is a mental person. They can not just control you, they can also make you not want to think that what's happening is happening. And that's kind of harder because that's kind of like if you have a suspicion that somebody you care about is doing something untoward, whether it's someone you're related to is involved with something sinister or you're in a relationship with somebody and you think they're cheating or whatever. But you don't want to believe that because why would you want to believe that? Yeah. So it kind of, it's like the scary, you know, the scary way of like someone with mental powers could really do things. It's not just, I'm going to make you my land the slave because that's a lot of work. They have to keep yeah, control no, constantly. But then Thor, and she seems to have some plans for Thor that are a little, a little icky. I think it's kind of creepy what she does. Like the yeah, like yeah. Thor always like falls for it though. Like every well, run of Thor, like something like this happens at least once. True, but at least that at least then he gets to just you know it's you know it's, it's being I still put a difference between being tricked and being controlled. Yeah, okay, yeah, it's fair. But yeah, no, I can't argue with your point either that. <laughs> but anyway, so that's where we end here is that half the team, half most of the group realize something's wrong and of course their most powerful member is like, no, I'm cool with it. <laughs> Which could be a problem. And next issue, War Against the Gods. Any more thoughts on this one before we go to the two? Hey, I enjoyed it. I like the way the story is constructed. I like the, you know, sort of the bait and switch that comes in. I like all the subtle hints. I, I like that it's sort of at least like you could follow the story very well. Like it wasn't like too complex or it didn't have too many moving parts. And you could, you could like pick it up and you could read it and you wouldn't have any particular problems with it. No, I had this issue as a kid. It took me the longest time before I got 220, so I never knew how it ended for the longest oh. like, years. But yeah, I, I reread this one a lot because it was one of the few ones I had when I was younger. But no, you're right. The storytelling's well done. We can see that. And I do like, it's one thing I do like when they do a kind of like a mystery type thing. Like here, it's like, what's really happening? And they do put the clues in there. Yeah. Like the original message from Drax which is different than what Moondragon's explanation is. You know, he's saying, uh, "We, I need your help. Come here, hurry. You know, anyone who, if you find, you know, you have to find the Avengers and tell them to get here. But then they're like, well, if you have the message of, any, you know, anyone find the Avengers, why did you mentally compel us to come, Moondragon? You didn't need to do that. You know, one or the other. You don't need to do both. Yeah. And she kind of glosses over that and it's like, if you were, if you didn't know what was going to happen as you read the issue, you can go back and go, okay, okay, that's that's why all this stuff was happening. Yeah, def- definitely. I'm, yeah, I really like this issue, and I really like uh, this issue as well, num- number two twenty. Yep. So we will be back in one moment with issue two twenty. You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. You are about to see. You are about to see. Because you demanded it. 
It's Treasury Cast, a podcast devoted to the greatest comics format of all time, the Treasury Edition. DC, Marvel, Archie, IDW, and more, bigger than life. It's the Treasury Cast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, and on fireandwaterpodcast.com. Avengers number 220, War Against the Gods. Writer, Jim Shooter. Pencils, Bob Hall. Inkers, Dan Green, Sal Trapani, Jack Abel, Bob Layton, Dave Simmons, and Steve Mitchell. Colors, Christy Scheel. Letters, Joe Rosen and Janice Chang. Cover art, Bob Hall and Brett Breeding. Editors, Jim Salakrup and Lance Tooks. Cover dated June 1982. On sale date, March 9th, 1982 with a cover price of 60 cents. You can find this reprinted in Marvel Comic Stars number 23, a 1981 German reprint, Los Vengadores number 34, a 1985 Spanish reprint, Strange Special Origins number 229, Horror Siri, a 1989 French reprint, Marvel Gold, Los Poderos Vengadores number 1, Por Derecchio Divino, a 2011 Spanish reprint, Avengers, The Trial of Yellow Jacket trade paperback from 2012, Guardians of the Galaxy solo classic Omnibus from 2015, and Marvel Masterworks, Avengers, Volume 21 from 2021. Moondragon has used her vast telepathic abilities to dominate the war-torn planet of Babani and enforce a peaceful, docile nature upon the populace. Realizing how Moondragon, his daughter, has been mentally controlling him, Drax accompanies the Avengers as they confront her. But the self-styled goddess now holds Thor in her thrall, and he battles his fellow Avengers on her behalf. A titanic battle takes place. The Avengers try to reason with the Asgardian. Ultimately, he realizes how he's being controlled and thwarts Moondragon's will by changing back into Donald Blake, to the surprise of the Wasp, who was unaware of his alter ego. Moondragon realizes that controlling the minds of an entire planet's population is limiting her ability to confront the Avengers. When the heroes enter her temple, she withdraws her telepathic control over the minds of the Babani, and they resume their warlike ways. Regaining sufficient power, she telepathically paralyzes her attackers. Drax resists her control, however, and presses forward in a rage. He collapses from a stroke only inches from his goal. However, the concentrated effort Moondragon must exert to stop him leaves her unable to keep the Avengers immobilized. Moving over to her quickly, the Wasp resumes her normal size and delivers a knockout blow. Babani resumes its endless warfare, but at least it is their choice. As the Avengers return home, Dr. Blake tries to heal Drax, but he is beyond help. Blake again becomes Thor and takes Moondragon to Asgard to face the judgment of Odin. Back on Earth, the other Avengers send the Mind Goddess's ship aloft for the final time as Drax's funeral pyre. And now Ren and I are back with Avengers number 220, War Against the Gods. Or as it says on the cover, shock follows shock when Thor and Moondragon join forces to battle Drax the Destroyer and the Avengers. Another really good cover here, especially, especially like sort of a classic, like, you know, have all the heroes down, but like the one of the heroes is also like uh, attacking them. Yeah, it does have a bit, especially like with the like the Moondragon temple. Yeah. With all the statues and carvings of her, 
it kind of, this one definitely, I, I mean, I mentioned it before, uh, Wasp costume, but it kind of reminds me of this bit of like something like a fantasy cover. Yeah, yeah. You know, like fighting at like, you know, Conan fighting some serpent god or something. Yeah, yeah, you know, like, a, like a Frank Franzetta kind of thing like that. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of has that feel to it. Which is cool because it gives it like a little different flavor for the Avengers. You know, oh, yeah. something different. Oh. So I would probably, if I was picking stuff up at this point, I probably would have been interested enough, even if I hadn't read the last one, to want to see what's going on here. Why is Thor being attacking Captain America and Iron Man and the Wasp? Yeah, like, what happened here? And like, who's the... But luckily, if you were, if you had picked that up and didn't have 219, well, within a page or two, you're going to get a full recap. <laughs> as Iron Man uses the recap to try and convince Drax what's going on. So at least they're using it. I will give credit to that. I mean, reading some of the older issues, it does get kind of funny where like you're seeing this whole recap over and over where sometimes people are just telling the other person who's been with them the whole time. As you know, (laughs) this is what happened to both of us an hour ago. It's like, yes, I know I was there with you. But at least here, you know, they're they're trying to make it into the story. It's like, okay, Iron Man's trying to convince Drax that he's being mind controlled, manipulated by Moondragon. And he's pointing out what happened. So I'll give some credit to that. They're trying to work it into the story. And it works because Drax gets very pissed off. Now, by the way, they also cover a bit of the origin of Drax. How much of this did you know already or have you read before? Just curious. I I read... um, I know a little bit about it. I knew like in... Like he's a like a an, a robot, and I'm also, or or like he was in. He's like, like a the, golem, almost, yeah, yeah, with the like soul he, of a human in it. Yeah, and, and I know, like, like like in the movies, like he hates Thanos a lot, and like his mission is to destroy Thanos. Yeah, yeah. The main difference is in the movies, he actually is an alien from an alien race. Yeah, and here he was just created by Cronus. Uh, who basically is Star Fox and Thanos' grandfather. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and he's also... I think he's an Eternal. Cronus was an Eternal, yes. Yeah, yeah. Because of the Greek, the, the Greek analog thing, yeah. 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 Specifically, actually, when Starling created them, they actually weren't even Eternals. They were just basically relatives of the Greek gods. They were demigods, initially. Oh. The retcon about them being Eternals won't come for about another 20 issues or so in Avengers. After Star Fox joins, he meets the Eternals there and they find out. He finds out that uh, his father used to be one of them, was an, you know, was an Eternal, and therefore he is too. Oh. Hmm. So yeah, the whole thing about Thanos being an Eternal doesn't even come until after a period of time when Thanos is de- well, basically dead. Uh, one thing I'll say, by the way, for you is... If you get a chance to read them, the origins of Moondragon and Drax are pretty interesting because when they do them, it's in two different issues. I forget the numbers, but one Drax's is in the issue of Captain Marvel by Starlin, and Moondragon's is in an issue of Daredevil in a sequence done by Starlin. And both are done, I think, I'm trying to remember, I believe they were done more or less wordless. And you can see huh. the origin. Like, it's not outright said, but if you read both of them, you go, that's the same origin. Huh. Like, they didn't huh. point it out immediately like they don't come out saying this is your daughter but like they kind of if you had read drax's origin then you read mood dragons you're like 
That's the same thing. Oh, that's, oh. that's interesting. I'll, I'll have to check it out. I'm yeah. meaning to get the uh, uh, Jim Starlin Captain Marvel for a while. Ever since I read a, a Warlock by uh, Jim Starlin, I read that. I, I, I loved it. It was really, really good. Well, you know, warms my heart to hear hear people say that. <laughs> I mean, I love it, obviously. But yeah, the the, star, the the Marvel stuff is pretty good too, especially with the Thanos. You know, since it's pretty much all him against Thanos. Yeah, Thanos made his debut in in that run, or did he make his debut earlier? Uh, Iron Man fifty five. Oh, the same one as Drax. Yep, and then. I think he had like a random appearances, like one random appearance in a uh, Marvel feature, I want to say. It was like an Iron Man and Thor, sorry, no, Iron Man and Thing t- uh, team up issue. Uh. It was kind of like a series, it was kind of like a few issues they use at this run, uh, this book called Marvel Feature, which is kind of like a one of those books that Marvel did to like kind of like feature random story, you know, random characters and stuff. And like yeah. they did one or two issues with the thing guest starring with somebody. It was kind of like a warm up for Marvel Two and One. Yeah, like the thing and uh, I don't know anybody, Spider Man or yeah, Squirrel Girl or like any. Pretty much, he pretty much he had a hundred issues. He pretty much had they pretty much had everyone in they could. If she had been around by then. They would have had Squirrel Girl in. But yeah, it was kind of like that. And then the, basically his next real appearance is then after that, only those two other times, is then the Captain Marvel issues. That's where oh. you really start getting Thanos. Oh, yeah. I, I have to get it. The thing is, like, I, I can't, like, find, like, the complete collection online for some reason. Like, the only place it's on eBay, it's like $75, so. Oof. Surprised I don't I have know. it in print right now. Yeah. You know what? One thing to try real quick. Now, it's a back issue thing, but you, I mean, I don't know whether, I can't say for certain whether it's what the, what the price would be on it, but it, but it was a reprint series called The Life of Captain Marvel, which basically just reprinted like in six issues, like it reprinted the Starlin issues. Huh. And since it's a reprint, it may or may not be that much money. You know, depending okay. if you're looking for, you know, depending on whether or not you want to trade or not. But if you're not too worried about having it being in a trade, you might be able to find you might be able to find that whole issue. I mean, I've never looked for it, so I can't say for certain. For all I know, they're twenty bucks each, but they might not be. Oh, so the, the life of Captain Marvel. Yeah, because they also did a series called Warlock in '82, and then they re-reprinted it in '92, which reprinted all of the Starlin Warlock issues. Oh, okay. You know, so Strange Tales and Warlock, and then those. Last two, uh, what, the Avengers Annual and the Marvel Tomb One Annual. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. all reprinted in that one. That's how I first read those. But yeah, that's a way also, that's a way to, to see. If you can't find the trade, see if maybe, because maybe because they're reprints, they might not be as, you know, costly. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Thank you. Yeah, worth a shot. Let me know if it works. I'll make sure to look it up. Yeah. Anyway, back to Drax. So yeah. Basically, Iron Man reminds Drax of who he is and what he is. He's an engine of destruction. And that releases Drax from Moondragon's thrall. Unfortunately, of course, Drax is once again an engine of destruction. (laughs) As Iron Man realizes, like, uh, this might have been a mistake. Because Drax (laughs) is pissed. 
<laughs> I mean, early Drax especially was very single-minded, I and mean, he was just, I am here to kill Thanos. I mean, if you thought the Drax in the movies was kind of single-minded, the original guy is even a little more so. <laughs> I mean, he spent some time trying to kill Captain Marvel because he blamed him for helping be involved with the death of Thanos because he missed it. He's not all there. But so Iron Man and Drax show up to find Captain America and the Wasp, and they're all like, uh, Moon Drag is the problem. It's like, yeah, we know. Right with you, buddy. And while they're kind of talking about it a bit, Drax is like, that's enough. Let's go kill her. Yeah, he, he's super pissed. Like the, this panel right here, he, he like has his hand out and everything. Ah. Oh, yeah, they, yeah. I was just looking at that a second ago. Yeah, he is angry. Now, speaking of the next page of somebody who is not angry right now. So, can we assume Thor and Moondragon? Uh, probably. Uh, oh. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I just, oh, yeah, that's, that's... I mean, he's pretty much naked. Yeah. I mean, two thoughts on that besides bad Moondragon. Very bad. Very bad, yeah. That is very bad. You don't do that to people. You, you got it. But I do wonder, because he's a god, I mean, do they have a different perspective on that? Because, I mean, half the stories about gods involve stuff. I mean, if you read, like, a lot of the classic myths, half the stuff about gods involves things like that all the time. Like, yeah. is that different? Uh, Would that be different for him? I mean, I'm not saying it's right, but... Well, I mean, I mean he's met Zeus and the Greek Parthenon. I mean, they, they always... They, they do a lot worse than this. So. True. But my other thought is this. So he's holding the hammer, because we're at the point of time still, I, be, I believe. I mean, I could be wrong, but I believe we're still at the point of time where if Thor lets go of the hammer, unless he's on Asgard, lets go of the hammer for more than like a minute, he turns back into Donald Blake. So does that mean he had to hold the hammer the whole time? He might have, yeah. Because that's kind of awkward. Yeah, it would be just... It'd have- or maybe he like held it out and then he He had to keep throwing it or something. Yeah. Maybe he like kept grasping grasping it every now and again just to make sure. It's just weird. I'm like, how does that you no know no, maybe thinking too much. Let's move on. <laughs> and so she's trying I mean, she's not outright controlling anybody you know the event you know controlling him like she wasn't outright controlling drax she's just manipulating the pathways to therefore make them believe well you know if i'm your dog you know you, if you believe me you believe this is a good thing to do therefore it's a good thing to do so you, why would you fight it and they have a little dig on superman here with the whole crushing of the coal into a diamond yeah and yeah that was interesting like the you know the coal into diamonds yeah. And then obviously we see later, you know, then we a minute later when Thor is turned away, we see him the moon dragon is just holding a piece of crumpled coal, you know, brittle uh, coal dust because like, Thor just crushed it. She's like, that's impossible. Like only in fantasy could that happen. So obviously it's a bit of a, a bit of a jab at Superman because, well, he was famous for doing that. Yeah. But it's also kind of funny because I don't know how much you know about Jim Shooter. Do you know how, where he, what he got to start writing? Yeah, yeah, he, he did the Legion of Superheroes, I think, in the 60s. And who is one of their, especially in the 60s, one of their big members? Oh, uh, Supergirl. 
Well, that too. And Super Boy. Yep. So yeah. it's kind oh. of funny that, you know, it, it'd be like Steve Dicko drawing, you know, a book, uh, draw, you know, writing a book on his own that kind of makes fun of the idea of Spider-Man. Oh. It's like, you were doing that for a long time, buddy. <laughs> but at this point, I mean, Shooter was the editor-in-chief of Marvel besides writing the book, so. Yeah, that, that's sort of interesting. I'm, I'm actually, never, I don't think I've ever, I might be wrong, I've never seen a, a Jim Shooter written. Okay, I've read a, maybe one issue, but I haven't read like a Jim Shooter fully written issue. Mostly read the like you know stuff that he that was under his editorship. Okay, you mean uh, at all? That's true. He hasn't really written as much stuff in the last like fifteen twenty years. So yeah, you might not have. I, I'm I might be wrong on that. Maybe there's like a couple issues, but I don't remember like I don't remember like seeing his name and like any of the issues I've read. At least like as much as I've seen like edited like you know edited by Jim Shooter and and the other part of the credits. So. Yeah, well, obviously, if you ever pick up any of the Silver Age Legion, you have a good chance of reading his work there. And also, if you ever read early Valiant, the first run of Valiant, not the current runs. Because he, um, he started that. Yeah, yeah. And I know that after he got kicked out of Marvel. and Yeah. He went and formed Valiant. Valiant, I, I read... Um, I don't know if he wrote this uh, Dr. Solar... Uh, he did write that back in back in Valiant's days, yeah. Yeah, okay, I read that, I think. I read that because it had uh, the Barry Windsor Smith art, so I was interested in that. Well, that's a good reason to read anything. Yeah. Yeah, if you're liking the Barry Windsor Smith stuff, look for the first 12 issues of Archer and Armstrong from that time period. Yeah, I've heard good stuff about that. It's fun, I mean... I don't know if he was, I forget if he was on the first issue or two, because I think that might have been Shooter and maybe him. But at, but then after that, it's all Barry Windsor Smith writing and drawing it. So, and that was, I enjoyed that. I remember enjoying that one a lot back then, although it's been a couple of years since I read it again. So who knows how it holds up 20 something years later. But I remember liking it a lot. I love that book. Anyway, back to this. So, they're flying in to get the Drax moon dragon. But yeah, Drax can't resist destroying everything in his sight. And moon, of course, alerting moon dragon because all, all the people are now freaked out. And it's one thing to notice four people thinking something. It's another thing to have the, you know, half the population of the city are in freaking out about something. She's got to pick up on that. Drax is, Drax has not never been the best with plans in any medium. <laughs> <laughs> Movies, comics, Whatever version of Drax, he's always a pro- you got to be careful with him. He's always a, always gonna be a problem with your plans. <laughs> yeah, like 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 in um, Infinity War where he like decides to go all in on attacking Thanos like before he has like a plan. Exactly. Or I just rewatched it recently, the first Guardians movie where they're on uh, nowhere, and he calls Ronin's forces in just so he can fight him. <laughs> Or even the second one, where he decides to jump inside the giant monster in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> but Moondragon convinces Thor, hey, this is, you know, what we're doing is important and worthwhile, right? Peace is good. Yes, peace is good. So then, therefore, if anyone wants to stop it, you have to stop them. Like I said, it's 
the subtlety, which is a little scarier than outright controlling. Yeah. Yeah, it's then, a manipulation. Yeah, and then because then you have to you have to debate like, what am I doing? And am I do is this? You have to. You're questioning your own decisions. It's yeah. easier when you've been controlled because then you just know this was not my decisions at all. But when you're being manipulated, you're like, well, what am I? Am I? Is this what I want to do, or is it what they want me to do, or am I doing it still, even though it's what they want me to do? Yeah, yeah. It's a you know. It, it's not as like explicit as like brainwashing. In some ways, a little scarier. Yeah, because sometimes it's not too far from things that could happen without you know without the added mental powers. It's something that could could and has happened in reality. No, just like reading it a little bit. The another scene of uh, the wasp shrinking and her clothes staying the same size. Yeah, she has a finally got a costume. Some costumes that work for her at least. Yeah. Which is good. And now we get big fight as Thor fights everybody. Cap, I like that Cap tries pulling the shield. That doesn't work. Let me throw, try something he won't expect. I'm going to throw the whole cycle up. Nope, he caught it. Never mind. Just throws it out. And then everybody dog... I mean, we get everybody dogpiling on him. And that still doesn't stop him. I mean, you forget sometimes how powerful Thor is compared to everyone else. But he is major until he blasts everyone with the lightning, almost killing everybody but Iron Man. And kind of like in the movie. I'm wondering if this was an influence for the first Avengers movie. The fight in the woods with Thor and Cap and, and Iron Man. It might have been. Especially like the shot of like Iron Man and the Captain America like holding him down. Like that's... Oh, yeah, with, with Drax doing the, uh, yeah, around his neck. Yeah, no, that's cool. Like, they're all trying to, str- they're just struggling to each hold an arm. This is probably my favorite image of, the image of him striking all of them with thunder. That's probably my favorite image in these uh, two issues. Oh, that next panel? Yeah. Yeah. No, that is cool. That's just, like, everyone flying away. Away with thee. Great. Oh, and this one, too. Tough and jerk. <laughs> you gotta love the wasp. She does. Right, wait, wait. I'm, I'm, I've lost. Yeah, that that was the wasp, right? That said that. Let's see, yeah, that was a Iron Man. Oh, okay, never mind. Yeah, when he's punching him through all those columns. Oh, the next page after the lightning. Sorry. Yeah, because then Ooh. he's supercharged. But then I like how the wasp comes in on the last. That's what I was thinking of. The, and the last two panels of the wasp comes in. Oh, poo. Who the heck do you think you are anyway? Just blast him in the face. It's one <laughs> thing I love about the wasp. Despite the fact that she's not the most powerful one, she never. She rarely is like scared to get in the middle of a thing. She jumps, she jumps right into the fight. Yeah. Yeah, that, uh, yeah. That's always been like the best thing about her. Like she's like, you know, very. She's very like active in the group. It's not like, you know. Yeah, because, I mean, a group of Captain America, Thor, and Iron Man, it's easy for anybody to kind of get lost in the shuffle. I mean, you kind of could be like, it's Cap, Thor, and Iron Man, and, you know, those other guys. But, like, she's the one who finally convinces him to, you know, stand down a little bit. Yeah, pause at least. And then he realizes that, yeah, Thor, and like I said, actually, yeah, exactly what I said. Thor is wondering, I'm not sure of my motivations, but... There's a part of me that has not been influenced by her at all, even. So let's see what he thinks. And he turns back into Don Blake. Yeah. 
And apparently, yeah, from what we saw in 216, a couple of the other ones, a couple of the others learned each other's identities, but the wasp wasn't there. So that's a long time for that. that they kept that identity thing secret for a long time. Yeah. That, apparently he's the Avengers physician. Yeah. Well, works out well, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I have a friend. Yeah, friend who's a doctor. I'll call, uh, he'll be perfect for the job. Well, it makes sense also. Don Blake needs something. I mean, if you read any of the early Thor books, Don Blake's always like abandoning his practice every other minute to like go to Asgard for six weeks at a time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially, especially like in the early days. Exactly, yeah. He's always vanishing off. So if he's going to make any money, he's got to do something, you know, something not normal like this. He can't keep regular hours. Yeah. He's always off I'm fighting the record. Simonson run right now, and of course he completely abandons Donald Blake identity at that point. Yeah, that's yeah. I know it goes away at some at some point between now and then. I'm not sure where, but it does go away, and they they do they do bring back identities back and forth here and there. But Don Blake agrees with them. On the one hand, they don't have Thor to deal with anymore. On the other hand, they don't have Thor to help them anymore. So good, bad. And they go to confront Moondragon, and here's the other bad thing she does, because she basically forces everyone to stand still, and Drax will not. Drax is too focused. His rage is too much for her to be able to stop him, so she has to keep putting more and more energy into his head until basically he just collapses. And it I, that one panel right before he collapses, you can actually, looking at that, you can tell like it almost looks like he's having a stroke. Yeah. Like, there's something wrong happening. It's not just he's knocked out. It does look kind of like he just, like, you know, something shut off and he's just collapsed. And I like how they do that sequence of panels. The six panels of them basically confronting each other. Is the He gets closer, you know, as it goes on, the panels get thinner and thin. you know, the panel, those panels get thinner. Yeah, I like the, you know, the reversal, you know, you have a... Uh... Her her panels get thinner, but his panels actually like stay the same size. Yeah. Roughly. Oh, you're right. Yeah, you're right. And they're actually, it's interesting. You're actually not getting the typical image you get of like when someone's using mental powers like that. Usually, there's some kind of glow or something around their head, and you can see it focused on whoever they're affecting, you know, mentally. But there's nothing here. You could just see the intent in her, you know, the intent in her. Like she's really, especially that. The, that third panel, of her, that one panel of her, the last one on that on that sequence, where she has like the fists up in front of her face. Yeah, I mean, you can just tell even without reading the words that she is very focused on. You know, she is very focused. So if you know what she can do, you know what she's doing, without them showing that extra bit. All right. So, is he dead, or is it like something else? Uh, I mean, the the word doesn't come to the end of the issue, but yeah, he's dying. He's going to die. Uh, she's basically fr- basically fried basically in trying to stop him she has fried his entire brain oh oh huh. so yeah she does some pretty bad stuff this issue like i said and the wasp takes her out with a nice punch well very well timed like yeah like heads up what grows big and bam punches her right in the face very raiders of the lost ark which makes sense since this came out probably, that, I think, that same year, actually. Oh, yeah, definitely. I like, I like that, you know, the, she finally has, like, the coat on and it grows with her. Yeah, wait a minute. That, I just realized that. That's funny. Hold on. So she, you can see her. She's getting the jacket from Dom Blake. 
because she wants something that's going to be well she goes full size so she's not naked fine yeah. i understand that but then the next panel she's wearing it and it's miniature like her yeah and that's, that's so, kind of weird so wait his clothes are treated like a shrink and hers aren't it might be just an artist error, but I, I don't know. I, I'm assuming it is, but still, it's kind of like, a, it's a, it's still amusing. It's like, wait a minute. She's like, that's where my clothes went. Don, stop stealing my 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 jackets. But okay, they leave. You know, like Drex uh, dies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what does he say? Uh, he sustained severe damage to the cerebral cortex. Yeah. Somehow, Moondragon overlapped every nerve synapse in his brain. Now, of course, I am not a doctor, so I don't know how accurate that actually is. And, I, mean, I mean, it's the thinking, the cerebral cortex, it's like the thinking part of your brain, so it, it would be, like, if she had done that, then maybe, like, there might have been some living parts, but, like, every nerve synapse, it's, like, basically every nerve connection in your brain, like, yeah, that, that probably isn't good. Yeah, and he go and he dies. And so now they're trying to figure out what to do with Moondragon because it's like, well, she took over our planet. It's like, yeah, and what are the cops going to do back on Earth? <laughs> We're going to tell her still she took over a planet. They go, that's nice. And I saw Cookie Monster down on Fifth Avenue. What's your point? <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the punishment Thor has for it. It's like, she, you know, he turns back, into, Don Blake turns back into Thor. It's like, she thinks she's a goddess. She'll be punished like a goddess. And brings her to Asgard. And I love that panel where she's woken up in front of, she's like, where, where am I? Oh, oh no. And there's Odin's like, okay. It sounds like we've had some, sounds like you've been a bad person. <laughs> and that's all we know what happens in Moondragon for now. And then Cap, Wasp, and Iron Man get back to Earth and send the ship on autopilot to go out to the atmosphere and basically cremate Drax by exploding. I like it. Another movie this reminds me of from that time, uh, Wrath of Khan. Mm. Like the, you know, the, the final scene of Spock's funeral. Yeah, they lose one and they're not in their own regular uh, place either since they have to leave the Enterprise in that sh- in that one. So you don't get the, you know, there's no Enterprise in the climax. It's gone. Yeah. And here they're not in New York or anywhere near Earth even. They're elsewhere. Oh, yeah. And so for now, that's where we leave them. Moondragon is on Asgard for punishment, and uh, Drax is dead. So, yeah, I mean, I like the character Moondragon, but this is definitely a low point for her. I would have said, like, she was a villain, but apparently, like, she eventually becomes an Avenger. She actually was an Avenger already. Oh. She was an Avenger earlier on. Oh, okay. That's how they knew her. That's how they knew who she was. Obviously, her membership is not going to be considered too valid at this point. <laughs> I don't yeah. think they're count. I don't think they're going to be counting on her for for a while. And it's also going to show why, in in the future years, when we get back to post Infinity Gauntlet, when she's part of the Infinity Watch with Adam Warlock and Drax, the Avengers are going to be a little wary of any group that has her and, in it. Yeah, that that's understandable. Because they were like, okay, is she controlling them? Because, you know, she's done that before. According to Wikipedia, the Infinity Watch is 1990. Oh, so he's so Drax is dead for a good uh, 10 years. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, he is brought back after Thanos comes back shortly before Infinity Gauntlet. 
If you're interested in those, that's a run of Silver Surfer when Jim Starlin starts writing it from like Silver Surfer, the 1987 series from issues like 34 to basically to 34 to 50 is like the lead up to Infinity Gauntlet. Oh, that, that seems interesting. Yeah, I'll definitely read it. My brother-in-law got me for my birthday a while ago, Infinity Gauntlet and I think Infinity War. I don't know about Infinity Crusade. That's that's not as popular because you know that, that the movies are. Yeah, not sure any of the movies take from the Infinity Crusade. So, not that I can recall, really. Maybe some random images or random, maybe a scene here and there. I might notice eventually when I get back to that. But for the most part, not really. But yeah, because Infinity Crusade basically the premise is that Warlock. Uh, the splits all good and evil from himself at some point. And so infinity war is about, and they both became, they both uh, get, for, you know, corporeal form and do their own thing. So infinity war is all about the evil side of warlock and infinity crusade is the ultimate good side. Oh, that's interesting. Wait, like the, the evil side, like the, like what happens in the original warlock series where he has to fight the, his bat, like Magus, who's like his bat. It's the version. Magus. Oh. Just no afro. Oh. He doesn't have the afro. He has slick back hair, and it's in a very short ponytail. Because, <laughs> you know, it's it's like 1992 or 93. So, you know, got to look cool. <laughs> you know, it's extreme. Yeah, a little bit. But, yeah, it's like basically like fighting like the ultimate version of evil and also then the ultimate good. Kind of like uh, the ultimate good is kind of like the moon dragon here a bit. It's like it's so fanatical. Yeah. Kind of, like, kind of like how the Magus was fanatical. Yeah, exactly. I just want to highlight um, the preview for the next issue. Two new Avengers. Thrills, spills, and excitement. The return of Fabian Stankowitz. Stankowitz. And the Wasp throws a tea potty. Yeah. <laughs> I think I kind of want to read that. That seems interesting. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll read it after we're done here. Yeah, I'm kind of. Inter- I I kind of wanted to read the two after reading those after reading that uh that blurb. It's like okay, we get two new Avengers. Well, technically, we got a new Avenger and a returning, but still new member. You know, people joining the team. But of course, the return of Fabian Stankowitz. It's like who? <laughs> and the Wasp was a tea party. <laughs> like all right, and it sounds interesting. Hey, it worked. It got me going. Okay, I want to see what happens. I read these last night. I'm like, I, I think later on, if we record, I gotta go when I get a chance. I'm gonna read the next issue just to see what happens there, because <laughs> that amuses me. Wait, is that the one? Hold on. I think that's. The, I think that's the one. Yes, that's the that's the one of the. Co- it's a. It's a pretty famous Avengers cover, it's all red and it has like a pictures of like 10 different no, heroes. I, I have it up here. I have it up here right now. Yeah, it's like, pick two to join. Answer inside. Overall, I think we both enjoyed these two issues. I, I, I certainly did, yeah. It's a very good uh, condensed little story. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good two-parter. It's kind of fun reading these old issues you realize how much is packed into them yeah i mean there's a lot of story going on here i mean a lot of stuff happened 
Yeah, definitely. It's only and it's only like you know thirty-two pages, so they had to like you know figure out a way to put all that in without it seeming like too much a short span of time. Yeah, it probably does help that they have a shorter, a smaller team here, so you don't have to spend too much time with like you know eight different characters. You only have four Avengers plus Drax and Moon Dragon, so it sure, kind of certainly helps. Yeah. And they balance it out really well, like each character you know, at least, like, gets, like, some role or, like, gets, like, some role in the story and they all, like, sort of play a role in how it concludes. Unfortunately, as far as Moondragon's concerned, like I said, this is, I think, her lowest point. Because I do like the character, but, yeah, she can... She knows she's powerful. The problem, of course, is, you know, if you don't have... You know, you need a bit of humility with that because otherwise you can, well, leave yourself to cause problems. Agreed up a little bit more Moon Dragon. Yeah, she's she's in the current Guardians run as well. She's really I like her here. I like her. She they're doing a, Al Ewing is writing her in the current Guardians, and it's pretty cool. Oh, that's awesome! All right, well that's it for Avengers two twenty. Uh, anything you want to point people to before I head uh, off to my next issue? Well, my name is uh, Ren. My Twitter handle is Ren underscore Chandler four um, on Twitter. I mostly um, tweet about comics. I tweet about um, films or TV shows I'm occasionally watching, or sometimes I'll just do like these long informational threads that detail like stuff I find interesting. Um, you can also, I haven't updated in a while, but I was because of some, personal stuff, but uh, I also have uh, Confessions of a Cluttered Mind. That's my blog I've been running for, I think, eight years now, from, since I was in high school. Um, that's, oh, wow. I um, do movie reviews mostly, and right now, or at least when I left off, I was doing a massive rewatch of the, vent- of the dearly departed uh, Venture Brothers series. Oh, cool. So, I hope to restart that soon. Um, Thank you so much for doing this. Um, I, I, I appreciate it. My mom was actually asking uh, uh, when I was going to do another podcast. Well, tell her you got at least one or two more recordings set up already, and you'll be back again in the future. Yes, so, and, thank, and thank you again for doing this. Always appreciated. No problem. Thank and, you. for. Of course. And if always, folks, links for every, for the for Ren's uh, Twitter feed and the blog will be in the show notes. So all you have to do is scroll down and click. We make it simple. And don't worry, Ren will be back next episode with some more Avengers talk. But coming up next, we have Michael Bailey as we cover Captain America Annual 7. Hey, Mike. Shaq, what What are you doing in my house? I... I had a key made, but that's not important. Anyway, I just had a great idea for a trailer for that cute little network you do. The, the Fortress of Bailey Toot Podcasting Network? Yeah, that's the one. It's adorable. I love it. I mean, look at you. Like with the network and stuff. Thanks. I, I, I think. Anyway, you know how people sometimes advertise something by like being extreme and suggesting that you just might die if you don't buy like a particular product or something? Yeah, I, I believe those people are called sadists. Sadists? That's one way you could say it. Or 
guy with a marketing degree, kind of the same thing. Anyway, we could record a promo where I ask you something like, Mike, do you know who didn't listen to the Fortress of Bailey 2 podcasting network? Who? Gwen Stacy. Really? You know who else didn't listen to it? <sighs> who? Thomas and Martha Wayne. The Waynes. And Uncle Ben. Not the rice. Uncle Ben. And the entire planet of Krypton, except those that survived. What about Bucky or Jason Todd? Ooh, that's genius. Okay, we'll say they didn't listen, and then Superboy Prime punched a wall, and then they listened, and they were brought back to life. I guess we could also say that Aunt May subscribes and unsubscribes all the time. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Now you're catching on. I'm not doing that, Shag. I'm not going to suggest that people will die if they don't listen to the Fortress of Baileytude podcasting network, which hosts such shows as From Crisis to Crisis. Overlook Dark Knight, Views from the Long Box, It All Comes Back to Superman, and Bailey's Batman Podcast, and that they can find the network at www.fortressofbailey2.com. Are you sure? I mean, I do have like a marketing degree and stuff. I'm, I'm pretty smart. No. Can I at least be in the trailer? Yes. The Fortress of Bailey Tude Podcasting Network. The repository of podcasts produced and hosted or co-hosted by Michael Bailey. Head on over to www.fortressofbailey2.com to download the shows directly. You can also find a master feed of all shows by searching for Fortress of Bailey 2 Podcasting Network on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher, or you can subscribe to the shows individually. The Fortress of Bailytude Podcasting Network does not suggest that not listening to any of these shows will prove fatal, nor does it endorse surreptitiously making a key to a friend's house for the purposes of busting in and suggesting ideas for podcast trailers. Music in this trailer by Kevin McLeod. And we got one more comic to cover this episode, and this time we have a new guest joining. Please welcome to help me cover the Captain America Annual Number 7 from the Fortress of Bailey 2 family of podcasts, Michael Bailey. Hello, Michael. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, and for having me for one of uh, my favorite Marvel characters, too. So the, 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 this, is, uh, this was a joy to reread. Nope. I'm glad to have you on here, and I know you were a fan of Captain America, so I figured that was... I was hoping that would be one you would pick, and you did. <laughs> no, I, um, uh, Cap is my, s- can't believe I break it down like that. Oh, of course I am. I'm a comic book fan. Uh, we, mm-hmm. we break things down into lists. No, he's my oh, second yeah. favorite Marvel character, uh, which is kind of funny because my first is the Hulk, and they're the two that now are kind of off the table mostly for the MCU. So, yeah. uh, it's, it, it, it's, it's a darker place place uh to a certain extent uh more for the hulk than for cap uh because at least he had some <laughs> really good movies but uh i this this is from a an interesting era uh, of captain america uh, so uh, when the annuals were different <laughs> i yeah. guess is the best way to say it it's actually funny because there are two annuals we're, we're covering in this series of episodes. So as I'm doing, the first one was in our first episode, 
where John Wilson was here to cover Hulk Annual 6. And that's also kind of a weird annual issue. Is that the one? Which one is 6? It has Doctor Strange. Okay. And the Enclave, or the Beehive, as they make their second creation, Paragon. Who oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, not, not, yeah. I, I get the, the Hulk annuals confused because I'm like, was that the one that Roger Stern and John Byrne did? Or is that the one with like where Bruce Banner becomes Captain Universe for some bizarre reason? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. I, I think actually this is also that one was also written by Peter B. Gillis. So that was incorrect. The writers for The Incredible Hulk Annual Number 6 was actually Len Wein and David Anthony Kraft. Well, that, 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 that scans for, for what's yeah. going on here. Yeah, it's, it's, that was a weird one, too, where the Enclave kidnaps Doctor Strange and he calls the Hulk for help. And instead of to go to China, if they're in China, instead of going from New York to China by way of the Atlantic Ocean, he goes the other way. Okay. <laughs> he goes the long way around. No, wait, I'm sorry. Reverse that. Instead of just going across America and across the Pacific to China directly, he crosses the Atlantic and goes over Europe and Russia to get to China, the coast of China. Well, he uh, he wanted to take the more scenic route. Yeah. It was amusing. But we're not here to talk about that one. We're here to talk about the Captain America one. But before we get into that, I want to say I'm very glad to have you on here because I kind of have to because this is partially your fault. Well, not your oh. fault, but I'm stealing from you. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how to cover all these issues, because these are all the ones that take place, that like the Adam Thanos related stuff that take place in between the period of time when they were dead. Okay. From that period of the what, Marvel 2 on Annual 2 to the Silver Surfer issue when Jim Starlin comes back and brings them back. And I did want to do an issue at a time because that would take like two, three years. And I had heard your coverage on Tales of the Longbox from Legends. Oh, okay, okay. Of how you did it. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. Not just like a couple, you know, different issues, a couple issues each episode, but also different people doing, like, if this person's doing these issues, they're going to be on these, you know, this episode and this episode and this episode. Yeah, that was was an interesting experience. I I don't know. uh, It's also a lot of work, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I've thought about doing something similar, uh, oddly enough, with Millennium, uh, but that has been on hold for, for many reasons, uh, just mainly time, and it's also Millennium. Yes. So, <laughs> like, Legends was like, yeah, I love this, I love this series, let's get a bunch of people together, and people I've never talked to, and people I have talked to, and... Let's play fun music, which I wouldn't do anymore because, you know, these are getting on more streaming services and copyright's yes, I, a thing. Oh, yeah, so, I get that. Yeah. But I understand I know, that completely. I, this, that, it, it is a good format, though. And, and for uh, probably makes it a little more exciting, too, because then it, it kind of goes by faster. Yeah, exactly. But the fun part is, like, especially the trying to schedule everybody. Like, oh okay, yeah, that, that, that's that's a joy and a half. Yeah, <laughs> looking at calendars, going okay. Wait, so if I get you now and now, okay, so we got episodes one, two, seven, and twelve done. 
And now, oh, wait, the person for episode two is not available for a few months, so. But no, it's, uh, this is, this is something that I've never really encountered in my podcasting career, uh, because usually the things that I've covered on a regular basis never had like a period where there wasn't anything. (laughs) So it's not like, it's not like Superman ever stopped publication even when he was dead there were yeah. still superman comics yeah the closest you had was like what those two or three months yeah in between but, like uh you know him die the funeral and uh coming back the four coming back so but with thanos it was quite a bit more time however on the plus side you have when you get back to him it's like one of the most amazing runs ever of of uh of what I've read of the silver surfer. So I, I, I envy you on that because I went through all that a couple years ago and I thought it was great. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm looking forward. Cause actually I wasn't reading it till just before like infinity gauntlet started originally. And I realized something a while ago. It's like, I've read a whole bunch of this stuff. I never went back and read those. So I'm doing my silver surfer read through right now. And I'm in like the early twenties and I'm looking forward to getting to those issues. Yeah. Cause what wasn't it? Engelhart that, wrote it at first Englehart and yeah marshall rogers was doing the art that's right yeah and that's still more or less the team although ron Lim has done a couple issues here and there so far in the issues i've done i read and obviously he's going to be the regular artist for that pretty soon Mm -hmm. because that's what i think of when i see this when i think of the surfer is the ron Lim art oh yeah (laughs) that goes back to the by wizard days uh of I forget what um, what it was about, but it was a, an article and Silver Surfer was in it and it was him cracking his knuckles and saying, I am power. And I think that was Ron Lim artwork. So for a long time, that's what I thought of when I thought of the Silver Surfer as well. Yeah, it's what you first find. It's what you first see. What first sticks in your head. Mm-hmm. You know, Spider-Man for me still, you know, half the time when I think of Spider-Man, I still think of the... Uh, Amazing Friends cartoon. With that lovely, lovely voice. God, he had a goofy voice in that show. I mean, I know a lot of people, I love that show too, but I always thought the Spider-Man voice was a little, I don't know, it felt, it felt like that was a, not a, not a young, like a teenager, like in his early, or in his early 20s. It felt like a grown man, <laughs> which was always a little, little disconnected from the other two characters. Yeah, made more sense than Wolverine's voice. Actually, no, I forget Wolverine's voice. It made more sense than Kitty Pride's voice in that one episode. Yes. Yeah. That, I'll, was, I'll like, agree with that, that was a grandmother's voice. <laughs> You've got an old woman as Kitty Pride and an Australian as Wolverine. Perfect. This is great. It was like they have it's like Phyllis Deller had nothing to do with the, you know, because they, they were between, you know, her guesting on Batman and Scooby-Doo Adventures. <laughs> They're like, why don't you voice this character called Kitty? Okay. Put your cigarette out. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> And speaking of characters who were on Spider-Man and their amazing friends, let's talk about Captain America. Yes, absolutely. Captain America Annual 7, Chaos Cube, the ultimate tale of the Cosmic Cube. A star-studded epic with AIM, the Aquarian, the Shaper of Worlds, and other people, that, other characters that most people nowadays will never have heard of. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of weird because uh, recently, uh, as of this recording, recently... Uh, uh, the Overlook Dark Knight, Andy Leyland and I covered the Incredible Hulk, Batman versus the Incredible Hulk. 
which has the Joker and the Shaper of Worlds. <laughs> so, so I'm like, at least in this case, the Shaper of Worlds makes sense. Yes. Because in that book, it was kind of a head scratcher. But here I'm like, okay, it's a cosmic story. We're involved in a lot of stuff. He makes, you know, they, they do a weird retcon. But at least here, uh, I'm like, I'm like more happy to see him. Yeah. But, well, can ever, anyone ever be truly happy to see the Shaper of Worlds? I don't think so. Well, you get besieged by like the one one person on the Internet that loves the character and has it tattooed on them somewhere. Well, I mean, hey, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, think about it. Ten years ago, you could have said the name Wild Dog. Yeah. And basically had everyone go, you know, except for like some people go, who the hell are you talking about? And now it's like, oh, yeah, that was a guy that was on Arrow for like six years. Yeah, that <laughs> I remember when they announced that. I'm like, did James Cameron take a submersible to go, you know, deep, deep into the, the underwater of DC Comics and he found Wild Dog and he brought it back? So and, you know, like there are characters not so much in this story, but in the the story we're going to be talking about in the future that were just kind of obscure Marvel characters that are now part that were part of what is probably the most important story that happened in the MCU. Yes. So it's it's like really kind of weird that we live in a world we live in a world where not only like iron man is really popular which i still think for like a generate like like the people post 2008 probably just will never understand how big of a surprise it was but now it's just like people know who gamora and rocket and drax and yeah they're they're very different from the comic book versions but they're still out there yeah yeah, they still have an idea who they are. I mean, if they're imagining Gamora and you show them a picture of Gamora, they'll still go, yeah, it's Gamora. They can still identify them. And then you show them a picture of Nebula and it's just like, who's that? Yeah. <laughs> it's a little different. <laughs> well, as we'll get into when we get to that one, that's a character, at least from my memory. We'll, we'll see what happens when we get through those episodes. That's a character that from my memory. I prefer, I much more prefer the movie version because the comic one kind of just bored me. Oh, oh, from what I have experienced of her, which granted was mostly uh, Infinity Gauntlet, uh, I have to agree. Yeah. <laughs> but that's for about two episodes from now. We're going to get to Nebula. Don't worry, she gets a whole episode. So hold on, everybody. I am going to drop in a synopsis so that way we don't have to worry about that. And then Mike and I will be right back to talk about this issue. Captain America Annual 7. The Last Enchantment. Writer, Peter Gillis. Pencils, Brian Postman. Inks, Kim DeMolder. Colors, Bob Sharon. Letters, Diana Albers. Cover art, Brian Postman and Joe Sinnott. Editor, Mark Grunewald. Cover dated, 1983. On sale date, July 19th, 1983. With a cover price of $1. You can find this reprinted in Super Spider-Man number 24, a 1984 Greek reprint, and Die Spine comic Taschenbuch number 20, a 1984 German reprint. The cosmic cube begins to glow at Project Pegasus. In space, the supreme intelligence tells the shaper of worlds of the disturbance. In Ohio, the Aquarian notices the disturbance. Homing in on the cube's frequency, 
aim attacks Project Pegasus to steal it. Captain America responds to Pegasus' distress call, arriving in time to stop Aquarian from leaving with the cube. AIM takes advantage of Cap's misunderstanding of Aquarian's motives and captures the cube. Cap and Aquarian follow AIM to their facility. As Cap battles AIM agents, their leader, Bernard Worrell, takes control of the cube. Cap and Aquarian confront Worrell. Despite the Aquarian's warnings that Worrell is causing the cube pain, Worrell uses the cube to alter reality in multiple attacks against the heroes. Unable to break Captain America's will, Worrell pushes the cube too far and the cube fights back by mimicking Worrell's hate and fear. Captain America fails at reasoning with the cube, but the Shaper of Worlds arrives and claims the cube. He explains that the cube is sentient and evolving. He returns to space with the cube to oversee its development. And we're back. Oh, Captain America Annual 7. Start with the Project, Peg- Project Pegasus, which I remember... You can't open an 80s Marvel comic without seeing Project Pegasus. It was everywhere. Yeah, that, that's why I think there was a, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, being kind of excited when I was in the theater seeing X2. And I, if I'm remembering correctly, Project Pegasus was one of the icons on the screen when Mystique was disguised as the woman who was ostensibly Lady Deathstrike. Oh, uh, yes, that's right. I think you're right. Yeah, you're right. And like you see all like the names and the other things like I think wasn't Franklin Richards listed in there, too. I believe he was. Uh, but yeah, Project Pegasus was one of those things that for a long time, th- there's like this era of Marvel that I'm just fascinated by because it's it's like that era from like the mid 70s to like the late 80s where you had essentially the inmates taking over the asylum in terms of the people moving in creatively are the people that grew up on the first generation of Marvel. So there's this very, it's kind of wild. It's kind of crazy, but at the same time, once you get guys like Mark Gruenwald, who was the editor of this issue in there, it's like they start organizing things and Project Pegasus was one of those things, you know, it was, it was, I think the biggest thing that that was in was Marvel 2 and 1 mm-hmm. with uh, with the thing. And it was like an extended storyline in a team up book, which is just fascinating to me. But I just love that this is like one of those things that you can go to. It's just like, OK, we've got the Cosmic Cube. Where is it? It's a Project Pegasus. Of course it is. Of course Who's that was. guy. Who's that guy that looks like Tony Stark that's like kind of man in the phones, basically? We don't know. He's just part of Project Pegasus. But yeah, I know which one you're talking about because that uh, one of the first, like, I guess you could say trades that I had was the Marvel 2-in-1 Project Pegasus saga. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like one of those early Marvel trades where it was like semi-oversized almost. Not exactly, like, wasn't treasury-sized. But it was a little bigger than a comic. Yeah, that that was that's another thing that these kids today with their hula hoops and their Dan Fogelberg records just can't understand of like a trade paperback. It had to be big. You you had to be the Dark Knight Returns or the Dark Phoenix Saga uh, or Watchmen uh, to kind of get it. So the fact that they had a Project Pegasus trade meant that that story meant something to Marvel Comics at the time. Yeah. Yeah, and that's got to be touched on in here, in fact. Marvel mm-hmm. 2 and 1. 
So we're going to get to that. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about this story is this really, to me, feels like the writer, in this case, Peter Gillis, sat down and went, I want to make sense of all of this stuff. And I kind of want to close the book on certain things. So he gathers all like these like really weird and, uh, you know, just thinking about them individually to separate ideas. I mean, when you look at the cover, it says the Aquarian aim and the shaper of worlds. And it's just like, well, how do they fit together? Well, they fit together because of the cosmic cube. Where's the Cosmic Cube? The Cosmic Cube is at Project Pegasus. So you get all these, so you have AIM attacking Project Pegasus. And Captain America is really just along for the ride in this story. Yeah, he just goes there because he just happens to hear the distress call or parts of it. And apparently the rest of the Avengers are getting pizza. I don't know. They're not there. (laughs) <laughs> they are otherwise occupied, which was a common trope uh, in the Marvel Universe. But it's like page seven until we see Cap in his yeah. own annual. <laughs> yeah. And we find out he was briefly head of the security from Marvel 201, 43, and 44. And I'm just yep. thinking, who wasn't head of security there? Blue Diamond, Quasar, I think the thing was, too. It's like... <laughs> it, uh, it was one of those things that looked good on paper and the benefits seemed great. But then when she, you know, started working there, you realize it's a completely toxic work environment. Exactly. You know, they got that one guy that always like heats up the fish in the, uh, in the break room. And it's just like, I'm out of here. No, I guess <laughs> there's crazy stuff happening all the time. I don't, I don't want any part of this. The squadron Supreme keeps showing up and living here. <sighs> And are they are they mind controlled this time? You know, it's a 50-50 shot there. Yeah. Well, are you a squadron supreme or sinister? And I don't know if I believe you. Yeah, I'm not. And you still I, might be lying. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, you know, you could be the squadron supreme and, you know, some somebody told you something and now you're attacking me because some reason. It's just it's what I it's kind of funny that that was their function until Mark Gruenwald kind of made them something bigger than than they had been. So, and in a way, made them even you know partially more bad. In yeah. a way, you know, they meant more the injustice route as it would it would be known yes. now. That's why I was like, everyone's like, this has never happened before. Well, let me tell you a story. And this is going to really blow your mind because these characters are kind of like the people from Injustice. So. Yeah. <laughs> but speaking of what you're talking about with him putting all these disparate events, it makes sense that it's Mark Grunewald ed- editing this. And I have to wonder if, because as we mentioned before we started recording, they didn't really bother to do much with the credits. It's just whatever regular font they could use and they just stuck it in whatever white space was there. But if this didn't have like a regular credit box, if we would say we would see like Peter Gillis, Mark Grunewald co-plotting, because this is a very Mark Grunewald thing to do. This, yeah, oh, you're absolutely right. And uh, I don't know if I mentioned this. I, I'm a huge fan of Mark Grunewald as a writer. Uh, I, I I've loved just about everything I've read of his. And I say that in general. That is not to say that there were parts of his Cap run which I, I read the entire entirety of about oh my god that was 20 years ago (laughs) sorry i'm gonna go walk into the sea real quick i'll be right back uh understood and so that's not to say that that like that entire run was great from beginning to end but 
he has so much goodwill built up that I will not say I will not be one of the you know he's not one of those creators that I will say yeah I like him but he did this and it kind of sucked it's just like no I love Mark Gruenwald period end of story I mean let's go let's go let's be honest how many creators are there where you can look at every single thing that they've done and objectively look at it without any let's say nostalgic you know rose colored glasses and go Everything they did was amazing. There was never a clunker. Nothing ever was not great. You know, even Kirby had off issues. Yeah, I mean, come on, like not everything is going to be perfect. So unless it's a short, short run, like Stern and Burns run on Captain America. Yes, they weren't there long enough to have. It's like what five, six issues. Yeah. But yeah, but pound for pound, when you're dealing with people like Gruenwald or like Kirby, for example, you, you know, you don't really throw the clunkers out there unless you're doing what we're doing right now, which is talking about them like on a podcast, in which case you're, it's kind of your job to do that. But yeah, this this is this feels very, very Gruenwald-ish uh, in terms of uh, of bringing these like really weird parts of the Marvel cosmic uh, universe and kind of bringing them together because you also kind of have the 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 supreme intelligence of the Kree involved in this in mm-hmm. a weird way, and it's one of those we're going to use this as an opportunity. If you have never read, if, if if you're new to comics and you have never read anything about the Cosmic Cube, every little thing you need to know about the Cosmic Cube is in this story. Yes. So yes, that by they the, monologue it. Yeah. Yes, yes, they do. Yeah. <laughs> that that was my other big note was man, I for sometimes you forget how I, I remember listening to a, an interview with Bendis at one point, and this isn't me taking a shot at Bendis. It was just something that that he said that I both agree with but don't care is he's just like, you know, I don't do exposition like they did in the 80s. And those were a little clunky. And I'm like, yeah, but that was kind of the charm. You yeah. know, and, and you didn't have the internet uh, to sit there and fill in the holes for you. So if you were, uh, if you were a, a new reader or you were a kid and this popped up on the spinner rack of your grocery store or the 7-Eleven or the you know, whatever convenience store you found it at, you know, if they didn't explain anything about the Cosmic Cube, you'd be lost. <laughs> yeah, like, what the hell's that thing? So so we get that, like, pretty much right away. And I like how he does a really elegant uh, job of bringing in all of the of the, the villains or the, the characters. Because the, the Cube activates... So the first thing we see is the Shaper of Worlds, who we don't know it's the Shaper of Worlds, but if, you know, by the end of the issue we do, talking to the Supreme Intelligence. We got Hippie Jesus Guy, uh, and that's what I just kept thinking of him as as I was reading this issue, uh, you know, kind of walking through a park. And then we got the the Beekeepers of Doom, uh, you know, learning of it. And all of a sudden, we're in it. I mean, like, AIM is attacking Project Pegasus. And when they say attacking, you mean attacking. I mean, this is a full, I mean, it's like, how is the army not hearing about this? Like, it. <laughs> this is a full scale war. 
Yeah, it is. It's it's nearly a two page splash over pages four and five too. And yeah. this is a lot of resources. I mean, I don't I don't like uh, thinking too closely about how certain things work in comic in comic stories like this. But there was like a moment. It was just like, wow. Like they have to have like an entire like ground crew taking care of all of these sh- ships. This is like, it, I, I realize it's kind of in the side of a mesa, but at the same time, that's got to be like the, the the crew of an aircraft carrier working at this place. How many evil scientists are there? <laughs> well, probably in the Marvel universe, they they had easy recruiting drives. Yeah, you well, just, the, just go to the really the, the really big brain colleges and find the disaffected kids. They're probably just evil scientists universities right there. They just, you know, funneled them right to AIM. <laughs> They're not accredited, but it really doesn't matter. <laughs> but yeah, they call for help, and the Tony Stark-looking guy. Yes, I didn't really think about that when I first saw him, but you're right. Uh, he looks like 80s Tony Stark, exactly. It, it really does. I was like, you, did you really want to go for that look? Like like this guy, like if you go back to his locker, it's full of nothing but pictures of Tony Stark. It's he's, modeled, he's the guy from Iron Man 2. The guy that worked in the, in the uh, when, when uh, Iron Man Oh, 3. yeah, in Iron Man 3. I mean, sorry, 3. Iron Man 3. Yeah. You're right, Iron Man the, 3. The one that like did his hair and had the he tattoo. Had the tattoo. <laughs> That's exactly who it is. The guy from I forget, I forget his name, but from the show Happy Endings. Yeah. So so we get Cap, and then Cap's in the story, and this is what I love about Captain America from this era. He just walked in and took charge. Yeah. He he, he didn't care. It's it's like I was I was thinking about this as I was reading it because uh, last year. Um, I reread Winter Soldier, you know, the the first like 14 issues of the Brubaker series. Okay, yes. And I was just like, that is such a different cap. That is, you know, it's it's great. I love it. Uh, I'm not saying anything bad about it, but it is really hard for me to kind of juxtapose and, and figure that this cap eventually becomes that cap. And what I finally settled on was you just got to take the era you're reading in. You can't you can't worry about what's going to happen and you can't really worry about what happened previously. Like this whole idea of characters acting out of character, I think it's justified in certain areas, but I think with like the big guns, you kind of have to deal with the character you're reading about in the era that the story takes place in and not compare it to like the the tales of suspense captain america stories which are really different from this one because that cap was all about just fighting people yeah it's all action 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 and being quasi sexist in in world war ii yeah whereas Um, this is full-on superhero cap exactly yeah because he just takes charge he's like yeah give me the cube now like, I don't know if I trust you, so give me the cube. Because <laughs> he almost like, got a little belligerent here. Yeah, he, uh, he he gets a little handsy with the Aquarian and uh, uses an Aikido move. Uh, which, it was the 80s, so everybody was into martial arts and ninjas and stuff. So, <laughs> Well, yeah. 
but I like how that's what hurts him. Everything else doesn't, but you know, if you get that thumb just right, he's gonna drop drop the cosmic cube. He's gonna drop it just like Thanos does in the that that Spidey Super Stories. Yep. Scat <laughs> <laughs> cat. And then, and then, you know, after after the you know Cap has completely screwed up, we 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 cannot ignore the fact that Captain America makes a grievous error. Well, they neither step- neither him. Yeah, <laughs> they do. <laughs> Thank you very much, Captain America. We cannot break through the youth's energy dampening fields, so we hovered here with our cloaking devices on until you did it for us. And instead of going, man, I screwed up. I just, I complete, I literally dropped the ball on this. So let's work together. He's like, nope, I'm going to go chase it off. You stay here. He's like, I'm sorry, but that's it. Okay, I'll say I'm sorry, and I'm done. We got to go get it now. <laughs> and off he goes. Yeah, and, and, and really and truly aims a bunch of scientists. They're not really going to take Cap on physically. <laughs> well, no, as we see when Cap finally shows up there, and he goes, there's only 30 men between me and the queue. No problem. Especially these guys, just like, all right. And really, I get the feeling that they're not trying to stop Cap, like, fully. I think they're just trying to distract him enough so that they can get away with the cube. And then bring in, like, their their big guns, literally. Yeah, they're only trying to hold him off until that cube can go underground in the special cube-shaped podium that they have set up for it. I mean, this seems like the cube is their only purpose for existing in this at the space. It's all I cube. I wouldn't be in the meeting where they're like picking out like the equipment. It's just like, well, what are we going to need? Well, we're going to need like something really, really. Do we just want to put it in a safe? No, no, we're gonna we're gonna get the cylinder, and it's going to be transparent. And then there's going to be a cube inside of that, and that's where we're going to put the cube. It's just like basically that panel on the bottom of page 14 where the one beekeeper guy is talking to all the other beekeeper guys. That's how that meeting went. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, let's face it. It seems like the main purpose of this, because this is a splinter group of AIM, which is I, at first I was wondering if there's a problem with the coloring, because I'm like, why are they blue? But since we find out they're a splinter group, I guess that's why they're blue AIM instead of yellow AIM. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean that was a purpose. So I guess like they had to do that. Like, look, this is the whole reason for do- doing this. We have to have it in a way everyone can see it. Otherwise, you know, people are gonna get all pissed. And we get the cube, and they're like, "Wait, we can't even see it." I was gonna bring my kids. Come on, what's wrong, man? And we go through the whole history of the cube, uh, mainly the Red Skull taking possession of it. Yes. Uh, the, the the creation of Modoc. Still one of the greatest looking characters of all time. Yeah. Uh, we get a little bit of Thanos action or Thanos, excuse me. Yeah. With the part where I go, how do they know this? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's just like you know, I know the Captain Captain Marvel series was was pretty popular, but are those events well known to to the to the Marvel universe in general, yeah, or are these guys yeah. just like super focused on the cosmic cube? So they've they've collected all of the appearances. 
Oh, to be fair, it's Rick Jones. Maybe like he talked to some, they they just got somebody to talk, get him drunk one day and talk to him. <laughs> yeah, especially the Rick Jones of this era. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, just running off his girlfriend at this point. Taking wait, was that eighty three? Oh yeah, yeah, he might be depressed by now. Marvel's dead. Yeah, I was about to say. Yeah, he he should be. You know, it's once again he's lost a partner. This time a little more permanently. Yep. And I'm not sure if he's hanging out with Rom yet. Uh, probably. So, God, I forgot probably. that he hung around with Rom. Man, Rick Jones got around. I didn't. I never knew that until the Hulk got until Rick Jones got married. Yeah, yeah, because because the the bachelor party and the and the wedding issues were yep brilliant. <laughs> oh yeah. Love those books, but we we've got like the entire history, and I and I love that this this guy that's running the the beating. He's basically like, okay, um, I know y'all are following me, but now you're really gonna follow me because I'm gonna keep you imprisoned by leg irons, essentially. <laughs> that I had installed to automatically show up. I'm going to guess he probably, when they were going over the budget, he probably skipped that line item really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, yeah, I was going over the schematics, and what are these things on the, oh, don't worry about, don't worry about it. Here, we're, let me tell you where we're putting the pool table. Ooh, can we get a foosball table? Yeah, we can get a yeah, foosball sure, buddy. table. <laughs> if that will distract you. What? What? Look, foosball, where? But of course, it was all to get the Cosmic Cube and, of course, change reality uh, around well, him. What else are you going to do with the Cosmic Cube? It is its function. It really is. Uh, I, I do like that uh, kind of for the rest of the story, like it, it goes from crazier to crazier. At one point, he removes Captain America's bones. Oh, God, yeah, that was... So he's that just a sack crazy. of skin and organs? <laughs> yeah, that's a little gross to think about. If you don't want to think about it too much, don't think about that one. And then he, he turns the shield into a crab? And that attaches itself? Back. Yeah, that was just so weird. And you kind of had to, I mean, it's just like, it's 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 the Cosmic Cube. You can do every, anything, so you you do need to get kind of weird. But I'm, I'm kind of I'm thinking of this as one of those missions that Cap doesn't talk about very often. Like, like the official report on this, when he goes back to uh, Avengers Mansion, is very brief. <laughs> and it leaves a lot of stuff out. Yeah, and you know he made an official report, because the Cap of this era was very good at doing the reports for the Avengers. Oh yeah, oh yeah, d definitely. He was he was all about paperwork and procedures and and, and you know follow the rules. It, it was it was pretty uh, pretty amazing. So, but in the end, it's it's all because the cosmic cube is an egg. Yeah, yeah, it is hatching somewhat, or and, post more and, or less, even though it doesn't actually hatch. And the shaper of worlds. Is a cosmic cube that's older? That was made by the scrolls, which is why he looks kind of like a scroll, apparently. Although actually, and at this point, he looks like a scroll mixed with a uh, what's his name, Korvac. Yes, yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, that's actually a very good. It's uh, <laughs> a good way to describe him. But yeah, but but at this point in the story, I'm like, yeah, whatever, okay. 
<laughs> not in like a negative way, but it's just like, you know, at this point we're so deep in let, let's go with the fact that it was the scrolls and it wiped out their civilization and sent them back to a barbarous ways. And it was thousands of years before they got back. And we're going to, we're going to mention the Supreme intelligence because of course we are, and we're going to come back to Rick Jones because of the Kree scroll war and scene. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and now we're out of here. Bye. And he um, booms away. And I have to say, this is the most expressive I've ever seen the Shaper of Worlds. Like, the facial expressions, especially towards the end of the annual, is... He's is, very happy. He's... It's kind of creepy, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I love that... Okay, so this this Bernard Worrell guy basically robbed a government installation or led the, the, the attack of a government installation. Didn't so much kidnap Captain America and the Aquarian, but still tortured them for an yeah. extended period of time. And, oh, yes, in addition to all that, he changed reality. And this is another thing that I don't want to think too deeply about, because I'm like, you know, every time something like this happens, are the people that exist after reality goes back to normal, are they the same people? Or is it like that Doctor Strange story where reality is completely rewritten and the only person that knows it is Doctor Strange? Oh, that's, oh yeah. Season egg or whatever. And that's why cosmic level stories, I, I, I don't avoid them. I don't hate them. But after a while, it's it's kind of like cosmic level stories become kind of like magic, where things can just happen because we say they happen, and we try to put rules and and, and, and structures in place. But at the end of the day, anything can happen. And so, after Worrell, you know, after the the cube is is brought under control. Like, is everyone just back to normal? Do they remember what happened? Or is it like a copy of what was before? No, I mean, you, I understand what you're saying. I mean, you can do some stuff. I mean, uh, granted, for some positive ways of that, you can do some good stuff with that. I mean, that's definitely a way to, if you want to reintroduce a character or revamp a character, to do it that way. Yes. Um, you can also do some other stories, like if you ever read Astro City. Uh, I've read uh, a bit of Astro City. There was, I think it was like the Astro City one half or whatever, where the story was a guy keeps having like these nightmare, continuous dreams about a woman. And if you finally found out the end, it's his wife. But in the last big cosmic, big super battle crisis, secret war, whatever they wanted to call it, you know, since it wasn't actually Marvel DC, she was wiped from existence. Yeah, no, now I know what you're talking about. I remember that story now. Yeah, that that's depressing. Yeah. That is a but, sad story. But, I mean, you also have a chance to do something like that, something you know, really good with it. But yeah, but just, I can see the, I can see how like that could, you know, could hurt your head with that. Plus, you have to figure like if Cap's bringing this guy in, like what, you know, what code do they use? That, you know, is is there like a restructuring reality law on the books in the Marvel universe? I think they'd probably just stick with uh, the, the the charges that they could uh, they, they could work with, which is basically running a terrorist organization. Well, uh, yeah, I guess there's that. This is this is the '80s, so terrorism was was 
was it what it became after 9-11, I guess I should say, in the United States? Yeah. Terrorist yeah, was always over there. Terrorism was always over there. It was never here. So with the exception I, of Cobra. Well, it was a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. And, and also and, apparently provide health care when you leave your work. Yeah, never a organization more aptly named uh, <laughs> in terms of having to deal with those people. Whew. That wasn't fun. Uh, yeah. I, I, I always think of them with that. I'm like, yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> but yeah, at the at the end, uh, at the end, Captain America's just like, you know, like the shape of worlds is like, peace. I'm taking this this cosmic cube off. We're gonna go chill. He's gonna grow up. It's gonna be great. And Cap's just smiling, and he's like, you know something, Aquarian? I have a feeling the cube's childhood is going to be an interesting one. You could almost hear the laugh track right there. And then, like, the the Star Trek music. It's just like, ain't no Tribble at all. <laughs> and then it freezes. And then everyone's frozen but that one guy. <laughs> Produced by Glenn A. Larson. <laughs> <laughs> no, this was a... This, I'm it's glad this fun, was... It's fun, at least. The what? It's fun, at least. Yeah, it's it's a ball. It, it really is. From, from From beginning to end, this thing just goes... And it's an annual it's it, it annuals were either like a, a story too big to tell in like a normal one sized issue. But you don't want to do an extended storyline because Jim Shooter went through that period where he was like stories can't continue like that. But they could also be like, we've got this weird story. Just just stick it in the annual. You know, if people read it, like it, it's great. Uh, if not, I mean, this is. You know, this is annual seven, annual eight, if I'm remembering correctly, from the next year is the big Mike Zek Wolverine yep. versus Captain America story. Uh, so, you know, you, you get that sort of thing. But, yeah, this this was uh, it was fun. I'll just I'll just I'll just keep it with that. Uh, the artwork was serviceable. Uh, yes. I'm not saying it was bad. I'm not saying it was like the best ever. Uh, when it got trippy, it got really trippy and I, I have to, you know, uh, applaud them for that. But yeah, I mean, it was just like, if, if you're, if you're doing a Captain America read through, or if you're doing what you're doing is you're trying to follow certain cosmic things in the Marvel universe. Yes. This is something you have to read. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not saying you should run out and you know like track this down on the uh, on the like Marvel Unlimited app. Where it's not. No, it's not. Oh no, it's weird. Yeah, they skip it. You cannot get wherever it's reprinted. But since I haven't done that yet, but I put the reprints in with the uh, synopsis. So if it has been reprinted, I'll put it. You know, would have heard it already there, folks. But yeah, it's not on Unlimited. It's not on Comicsology. Weird. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, yeah, you're, I agree with you. It, it's worth reading. It's not worth spending, like, a lot of money on. Don't go looking on eBay go, 10 bucks, yes. No, no. <laughs> Find it in the dollar bins. Yes. <laughs> worth that. Worth that. Art, like you said, serviceable. It does its job. I mean, you can follow what's going on. Exactly. You're, there, at no point was I reading this going, wait, what? who's there? Because you can see, you know, he you know, was able to tell the story. But, yeah, Brian Postman, who is not an artist I recognize, and so I looked him up briefly. So he started working in 82 doing Spider-Woman, Cap, Marvel Team-Up, and Doctor Strange. 
and also profiles for Ohatmu. And apparently he must have went to TV because it said he's also done storyboards for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Biker Mice from Mars. Oh, so he went to the more lucrative side of, yeah. of the art world. Very good. And now he's still working. It says since the 2010s, he's been drawing horror comics for independent comic book companies and uh, anthologies. Oh, that's neat. That's that's cool. Yeah, a bunch of stuff I've never heard of. Uh, Insane Tales from the Dead from Caustic Comic Publications. The Creeps from Warren Publishing. Cemetery Plots from Empire Comics Lab. And Forbidden Gallery from ACP. Those all so- sound at least interesting. Yeah. I, will, I will say. Well, you know, he's he's suited for it because, he, you know, even though this wasn't a horror, it was really trippy at times. Yeah, trippy and weird. I'm thinking like that one was a page 33. Where you had yes. that disco-esque kind of like body horror things, like people's heads coming out of like these uh, plants. Oh, almost, looks like. that, is, that is very Ditko. Good call. Yeah, like the open mouth just right there with like the path going through it. And, and in the bottom panel where you see like different elements of reality kind of intruding on this weird world as as reality reasserts itself. Yeah. Yeah, very definitely a Dicko uh, influence on him. I wonder if anybody has ever like built like a little like little land runner and, and, and cosplayed as the shaper of worlds. I would, considering how many th- weird things I've seen people cosplay as, I would not be surprised. I mean, you would just need like a little, uh, like you know, just basically take like one of those things, like from um, from a Star Trek with uh, that that Captain Pike rolled that, around in. Yes. <laughs> just make it a little shorter. Put on some silver makeup. Get some pointy ears. Put on a skull cap. You're good. Yeah. So, hey, if anyone out there has cosplayed or even just has pictures of somebody who cosplays as the Shaper, I want to know. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to see that as well. Yeah. But, oh. but, yeah, definitely this is one of those adventures that Captain America does a very, very brief report on and then moves on with his life. AIM attacked Project Pegasus, took the Cosmic Cube. I got it back. It's gone. <laughs> The Shaper of Worlds came and took it. It was an egg. <laughs> this is like somebody coming, like like Hawkeye reading the report, going, "Cap, can I talk to you about this?" No, no, seriously. There, there's, a, I got a lot of questions here. Hey, Hawkeye, you wanted to lead your own team? What? Yeah, okay. This would be around the time that the uh, the blah 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 West Coast Avengers. Yeah, we're not too far from that because uh, what I'm reading here, because I'm reading it here, and one of the ads in the early pages is for the Hawkeye Mini. Yep, uh, the one by Gruenwald and Breeding. There's another ad that is fantastic of the the Deathlock story at the end. Yeah, uh, that ran in Captain America. That is an excellent set of issues during the J.M. DeMatteis run uh, with the Zek art. Yes. Yeah, that's the thing about Captain America, and it's and it's kind of fascinating. Back in uh, 2002, I, I assembled like this giant run of Captain America. It started with like issue 240, and went all the way up to what was coming out currently then. And Captain America is one of those characters that, through like the late 70s and, and 80s, like he would get like. Somebody would come on, like Stern and Byrne would start their run. 
and it would be great. Oh, and yeah, then you sure. would get like a bunch of fill-in issues that are really, you know, some are better than others. And I'm not saying that they all sucked, but then you would get like De Mateus comes on. And then suddenly you're you're in with somebody who's invested in the character. And then he leaves. And then it's like three or four issues until Gruenwald comes on. So Cap is one of those people that really needs a, a strong creative vision on the part of the writer for it to have any legs. Yeah, because when I think of like or when I hear people talk about the parts of Cap that they're really into, you know, that are like really good. It's usually not like these random one shots that somebody did. It's always like these this person's run, you know, th- those runs, you know, the Grunewald run, especially like when they people talk about like the the you know the uh, John Walker stories. Yes. Yeah. Or like you said, the Brubaker Winter Soldier story. Or, or Mark Wade's two runs. Yes. Uh, or you know, I, I I would put it out there that Dan Jurgens' run is extremely underrated. Because uh, he was on it for like 25 issues. So, you know, he, he had a pretty healthy run. It's not like his run on Thor, which was like 80 issues. Yeah, he did that for a while. <laughs> like somebody told me that. I'm like, really? Because I didn't realize that he was on it for so long. <laughs> like, wow. And that run apparently got really out there, too. Yeah, uh, with a whole alternate reality happening, and I'm like, ah, the things you can do when no one's paying attention. <laughs> but that's one of the benefit. Yeah, but some characters benefit more from having like a strong t- team with a actual vision. Yeah, and you and you may not agree. Like I said before, you may not agree with every like decision that they make or every storyline. Uh, De Mateus's cap really was more of a. I mean, it, it, it's out there. He was going to have basically Captain America stop being Captain America and have this uh, First Nation person uh, pick up and become the new Captain America. And they're like, no. Was that uh, American Eagle? The guy who became Some, American Eagle? Yeah, something like that. Uh, if I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember the name exactly, but of course it's, it's tired and I'm late. Uh, but, and that, of course, is why he left. But during his run, you have these really great, you have the return of uh, Nomad, or the creation of Nomad, really, uh, returning and and, and coming back into the fold of Cap, uh, the Bucky Barnes from the 50s uh, version of the character. By the way, Jack Monroe. Thank you. By the way. You want to read some really nationalistic Captain America stories? Read the '50s stuff, people. It's uh, yeah, who? It's it's different. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't hard for them to take that, make that story they did with the '50s Cap later on. Yeah, it really wasn't because it starts, you know, you know, Captain America Commie Smasher and turns into Captain America. I want to go fight in Korea so bad it's not even funny. Yeah, it's like no wonder they retconned out. Like, nope, no, Cap vanished the end of World War II. That wasn't him. I think that was the previous annual to this, where they went through that entire history of the various Caps. I think because I was looking when I was looking for this issue, I think I did. I think I did say annual six was like something like that, according to the cover. It's time to cover our feedback before we get to the end of the episode. And this time we are talking about feedback from episode 156, 
The Death of Captain Marvel Part 2, which was Part 7B of our Wilderness Years, in which we covered the Death of Captain Marvel graphic novel and Marvel Fanfare 24, well, the backup story, with Brian Zemo and Ray. And on Facebook, the post about that episode got likes and shares from Billy Dunleavy, Mirko Mackey, Noel Tate, Ray Ray Pod, Walt Neeland, Jesse Starcher, who commented on the post, just finished the episode yesterday, powerful story. To Know Her is to Fear Her, the Spider-Woman podcast, Stephen Bazell, Rustin Green, who posted on the Spider-Woman podcast page, because they, uh, they reposted it, and he uh, commented on there, Spider-Woman makes the briefest of appearances in Death of Captain Marvel, by the way. Well, at least letting people know if that's their favorite character, hey, they are there. Briefly, but they're there. Also shared was Into the Night, the Moon Knight podcast, Ray Van Horn Jr., The Collective, Gene Hendricks, Darren Sutherland, and Ruth Sutherland. On Twitter, we got likes and retweets from Doc Strange, hashtag source material, The Superman Super Show, Jason Snick Venable, Conservatim, Coffee and Comics, Viet Nguyen, David Finn, Capes and Lunatics, Trapped in a World, Fan Film Fridays podcast, Tim Price, the Podcrasher, Ed Moore, Chris Lydon, Brian Z probably disagrees with you, Into the Night, Lindsay Lundaly, Clio Toad Reynaud, Alex Thompson, Steve Sellers, Comics in the Golden Age, Karen Walker, Dear Watchers, a comic omniverse podcast, Franco Benitz, Waffles the Waffly Waffle, Funk, Matthew, Eater of Takai, Derek Oldman Nerglinger, Moreland, parentheses he slash him, HOCOF, which is, stands for History of Comics on Film, Chris Lydon, and Legion of Superheroes Visual Reference. Now, besides this show, you can hear me pretty much every week on the L-E-G-I-O-N-P-O-D cast. On that show, we talk about the late 80s, early 90s DC Comics sci-fi series Legion. That is the one with the acronym and Lobo in it, not Legion of Superheroes. And you can find that on the Legion of Substitute Podcasters feed. I also guest starred on another show since the last episode has been out. I was on the third episode of the Bronze Age of Horror podcast with Billy Delicious, a.k.a. Doc Strange on Twitter, in which we talked about Marvel Spotlight number two with the first appearance of the Werewolf by Night. And links for both of those can be found in the show notes. So if you want to have your name said here, well, here's how you can do it. You can like and share the post on Facebook. Just go into Facebook and type in Adam Warlock or Thanos in the search box and our page will pop up. Follow us on Twitter and retweet it there, at AdamThanosPod. You can also like and like our post on Tumblr, resurrectionspodcast.tumblr.com, or you can send us an email, resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. And in fact, we have not one, but two emails right now to read. All right, our first one is from David Spothorff, Death of Captain Marvel. Hi, Al. Thanks for a great episode about the graphic novel. I've got a few minor notes and comments about the episodes, as usual. I like the idea of Captain Marvel being a Superman figure who was established prior to the FF and other Marvel heroes of the Silver Age. But it doesn't really work when we look at the crossovers in Marvel's Marv's earlier issues. Super Scroll, Namor, Quasimodo, Iron Man, etc. Not to mention the whole rationale for Marv to come to Earth being the feet of the century and Ronin by the Fantastic Four. Nice thought, though. You missed the no-prize moment on the big splash page with the roll call of Marvel 82 arriving on Titan. Notice who should not be there? The guy with the surfboard, who was supposed to be stuck behind Galactus' barrier for another five years. Steve Englehart noticed and retconned him into being a type of Super Scroll agent. 
tasked with impersonating and discrediting the surfer. Back in the previous episode, you were discussing the absurdity, absurdity of the name Lunatic Legion. Well, there was a method behind the lunacy. It was Hank Pym in the follow-up issue who explained the more of the other meaning of the word relating to Luna. The fact that the Legion was based on the moon in the ancient Cree-built blue area. Busiak and Perez bought that bunch back in the Live Cree or Die crossover in the late 90s. And those strange white stripes on Hank's 70s costume? They're stitches. The outfit was made by Trish Starr, Egghead's niece, and later Nighthawk's one-armed ex-girlfriend. But because Hank was stuck at one inch tall in the Marvel feature run, Trish suited at actual size. So it's proportionally very thick stitching. I was thinking about the why Nitro and Compound 13 question, and my theory is it was a slight conceit on the part of Jim Starlin. It was like he was making Marvel Graphic Novel number 1 a direct continuation of his last issue, Captain Marvel 34. Marv gets poisoned by nerve gas, and in the next issue, he dies as a result of that exposure. So now it's goodbye to Captain Marvel, one of my favorites of the early years of collecting, and one of the first series I was able to complete. Happy to make another guest appearance next time you need another voice. All the best, David. Alright, to go back to him about his thing, so about my Superman comment. No, I understand, it does not fit, actually. But it kind of just fits just for that graphic novel reading, just to explain the universe's reaction. It's more for the dramatic effect. But yeah, it does not fit in actuality of Marvel being the Superman of the Marvel Universe, since you know everything for that doesn't work. I mean, unless you ignore all that, of course. And yes, we did miss that the Silver Surfer was there. We did not even pick up on that. I'm so used to the Silver Surfer at this point being free to run around where he wants that. I forgot that he couldn't. About the Lunatic Legion, okay, didn't realize that. Same thing about Hank Pym's costume. Or that who, that Trish from the Defenders. At least that's where I know her from, from any appearances she made in Defenders early on. I didn't realize I was her to do it. So, so that costume, that's pretty cool. And yes, David, I will be asking you at some point again to be on. Don't worry, you will be back at some point. All right, we also have another letter from first-time writer, George Nevis. Wrote about podcast number 156. Hello, everyone. I've been listening to your podcast for months. Really enjoyable analysts on both Thanos and Warlock. Recently, the death of Captain Marvel was the topic, and I have to say this graphic novel was one of the ten most influential books in my collecting life. I was certain that at the last minute, Marvel would be spared. It was jarring when he actually died, and Marvel Comics had done the right thing in keeping him dead. Your point that he's seen as the Superman of the Marvel Universe was a very interesting take which I had never heard before. It makes sense. Thanks for producing long and comprehensive shows on the subject. I miss John Wilson. When is he appearing on your show next? And what is the frequency of the podcast released? Weekly? Monthly? All right, George. Well, thank you for writing in and thank you for enjoying the show. We do try to put some work into it, so I'm glad you're appreciating it. And yeah, well, I thought it was a different... That's just the way I read the graphic novel, but like I said in my email to David... I mean, it doesn't fit real, actually, if you take all the other issues into account, but it fits for that story. And yeah, it does, if I could imagine the first time reaction of reading that, thinking, oh yeah, but he's not really going to die, and then going, oh, he did die. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, John Wilson will be back next episode. We, in fact, have a recording planned, as I'm recording this, ep this one, tomorrow. So, if all goes well, he... Definitely will be here for the next episode, don't worry. And as your question about the frequency of the release, well, here's the two answers. The official answer is, this show is bi-weekly. It comes out every other week. So we have an episode, and then episode comes out on Sunday, 
and then the next Sunday, nothing, the Sunday after episode, Sunday after nothing, Sunday after episode, etc., etc. The actual answer is, well, that's supposed to happen. Life gets in the way. I get sick. Stuff happens. There's days where I get home from work and just... Stuff is so busy that next thing you know, it was 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night, and I haven't done squat on the podcast, and like this episode should be coming out on July 31st, but 156 came out on the 10th. This one should have been on the 24th. It wasn't. So I try and be as close to bi-weekly as possible. You know, sometimes if I'm a day or so late, it might come out on Monday or Tuesday. It's bi-weekly-ish. Hope that answers your question. All right, that's everything for our feedback, except to remind you guys that this show is part of The Collective. The Collective was started by a few like-minded podcasters who wanted to network in the most traditional sense. It has become a repository for ideas, crossovers, and potential guest appearances, and you can hear a promo for one of The Collective shows right now. Hi, I'm Pax. And I'm Abigail. Welcome to Ghost Spider Groupies, a podcast dedicated to Gwen Stacy of Earth-65, also known as Spider-Gwen and Ghost Spider, where we review her comics, discuss news, and give our opinions about all things Gwen-65. Right now, we are reading through Gwen's main solo series. Each week, we break down a new arc and discuss our and the listeners' thoughts. Tune into each episode and come on this journey through the character's history with us, available wherever you listen to your podcasts. There's also a uh, very cool ad, two-page ad for the Parker Brothers GI Joe uh, Atari game. Yes, <laughs> which looks awful, by the way. <laughs> uh, does it look as good as the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons uh, in television game? Yeah, about on par, I would yeah. say. This was an era where sometimes the ads for the video games were better than the video games themselves. Well, the artwork of the ads are awesome. I mean, look at that Dungeons and Dragons one. That is cool looking. Yep. And then you look at the work, look at the graphics in the bot, like the little, the tiny screen. Like they're trying to may have you not look at the graphics. Like don't look at that. <laughs> You're like, wait, wait, is that Dungeons and Dragons or is that GI Joe? Because I see snakes. Or is that Goonies two? Which game is that? I don't. I can't tell which one it is. It all looks the same to me. This also has an ad for the Star Frontiers uh, TSR uh, game that was in a lot of the books that I picked up around this time period. I don't know why. It was just like 85. My comic collecting history uh, before age 11 is very spotty. I didn't really collect comics so much as I saw something and I read it. Uh, but it just seemed like a lot of the books that I picked up this, like that star frontiers, uh, ad is like emblazoned in my head. Uh, like almost like the, the Mario brothers game ad, uh, which or the Kool-Aid man game ad here. Oh yeah. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Yeah. I can't believe I just said that. I didn't mean to do that, but oh yeah. For only 125 Kool-Aid proof of purchase points. Or 30 and $10. How would you like to be the guy that had to program that game? Like, what, what are we selling this for? Oh, it's for Kool-Aid points. <sighs> okay. Whatever. Just smash walls. That's all you want to do on there anyway. But no, this was a lot of fun. Uh, like, to start off to start off with the series of books that, that we're teaming up for, I was just like, this is a good way to kick things off. 
you know, a little crazy before we get into kind of more of a, a straightforward, like, cosmic superhero story. Yeah, yeah. Because that one is definitely more of a, I mean, for one thing, there's a, it's an it's the actual creative team and a good, create a really good creative team. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's a great team we're going to get to next time. But for now, we have this. Oh, that's right. Okay, I'll skim through the pages. I was trying to remember, but it's right. The Star Frontiers. Yeah, I remember that. So many comics. Oh, God. I was like, oh, yeah, that one. That was such a weird one. I'd really like to hear from people that played it. Like, what was it really like? Or did anybody actually buy it? Did they spend all their money got spent on the ad? There was no game. But <laughs> <laughs> all, right. all right. Well, Mike's gonna be back in not next episode, but the episode after. And it's gonna be all Mike all the time. But until then, if you want to hear more from him, Mike, where can they find you? Uh, www.fortressofbailytude.com. It is the one-stop emporium. For the Fortress of Bailitude Podcasting Network, which is kind of a funny thing to call it. It's just a, a central place for all my shows with a logo uh, where you can find things like the Overlooked Dark Knight. We've got the Superman and Lois tapes, uh, which covers the CW show Superman and Lois. Uh, I also have From Crisis to Crisis and nearly 300 episodes of views from the long box. So there's there's like. 600 some odd podcast episodes to choose from so uh but especially if you like superman or batman it's it it, it it's a it's a good place to go yeah definitely if you like if you like those characters i got some good stuff he has some good shows on those especially if you like superman there's a bit of a bit of choices when it comes to superman there well i don't know if i've really gone into this on a show before but i like the character so i, oh, I, I try okay. to keep it low-key not really put it out there on front street, but yeah, yeah I, I kind of picked up on the subtleties. Damn. You, you occasionally mention something about your Kryptonian, you know, affirmation of your Kryptonian faith. So I kind <laughs> of picked up on that little nugget and was able to figure out from there. I pieced it together. And yeah, but I appreciate you having me on for this one. Well, thank you for being here. And like I said, he'll be back in two episodes. So until then you can go listen to his stuff and then come back and hear more from here. All right, that's all for this time, everybody. Bye. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peacelovproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page.